Welcome to the Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This week's theme is Remote Control, and Alan and I will be curating a mixtape featuring the greatest primetime TV theme songs with lyrics. Yes. Uh, I tell you what, from the socially conscious all in the family to the female empowerment of Charlie's Angels, the teen anxieties of my so-called life to the representation of gay culture in Will and Grace, television programming has continued to evolve to address the changing landscape of American culture. But throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s, there was one thing that never changed, and that was the prominence of theme songs that soundtracked your viewing habits. Did you Did you watch much TV as a kid? As a kid, I, I did. I, I was an only child for 14 years, so... Uh, there wasn't much else to do. I mean, I had my toys, and of course, I played outside quite a bit with friends, but sure. on a rainy day, or friends aren't available, or if you just can't, you know, seem to muster up to build that Lego set one more time. Uh, I spent a lot of time Saturday mornings, of course. Um, although, in, in, in talking to a lot of other Gen Xers, I guess I wasn't as much of a Saturday morning cartoon watcher as, as, as maybe most people of our generation. Like, I caught a few, like, Super Friends, and Scooby-Doo, right? but that was about it. I was a big syndication fan. Uh-huh. We had Channel 43, which was a local syndicated uh, channel out of, out of Cleveland. W-U-A-B. And yes. boy, they had everything from you know Sanford and Son, Three's Company, Alice. I mean, I would watch all of those um, shows. So I guess I was a huge sitcom fan mm-hmm. as a kid. Yeah, oh, me too. I um, Now, I, I did. I, I watched... Uh, I watched a lot of TV and, you know, I remember I, my parents in the seventies, they had the, the big, you know, television console that, you know, it sat on the ground itself and it was, it was, more, it was more furniture than yeah, exactly, TV. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And I remember always being warned, you know, you're sitting too close to the screen, you'll hurt your eyes. And, um, but no, I, I did, I, I watched far more TV than I probably should have. Um, you know, there's, there's always the great debate about, you know, screens um, being, you know, causing a number of problems, right, in, in today's youth. But um, my parents didn't use it as a babysitter, but, but I just, I was, I was hooked. I was addicted to so many shows. And like you, I watched the reruns in syndication. Um, actually, that would start once I got home actually, because they always had, right. uh, you know, before primetime television, all the classic cartoons as well. Um, but I, no, Saturday mornings, I, I would wake up, <laughs> I'd wake up before the sunrise, grab my box of cereal, whatever one I chose for that particular week. And yeah, I mean, I, I had, in fact, I remember with each new season, I, I would research what what shows were on what networks and at what time and i had actually a regimented schedule of cartoons. did you have cable because i only had like four channels no we, yeah. we we had the 13 the 13 stations uh, um, i only had four you so. only had four three five eight and uh, the three major networks abc nbc cbs and then channel 43 wab okay you yeah. can't count channel 67 which was our local independent <laughs> station in canton ohio true that didn't count yeah now um i don't know i well there, there were the pbs stations and there were uh, it wasn't cable. I guess we had PBS too. Yeah, it wasn't I cable. I just, I vaguely remember that we had... You maybe had a better antenna than we yeah, did. Yeah, because uh, Channel 5 and Channel 10 were both ABC, right? One was uh, out of uh, uh, well, I only had, Akron. You had a better antenna because I only had one. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, but but no, we, we eventually did get cable. I remember uh, when my parents got the movie channel, I, I was blown away at this idea that I could watch, you know, feature-length films on a whim. Um but 
yeah, no, I, we we did not. Uh, yeah, I, I grew up. You know, maybe it was just a better antenna, but it, but there was not much selection. I mean, most of those stations that I named, I remember there was the the evangelical station as well. They always had the Christian programming, um, but it, it really was the three networks and. Right. As you said, Channel 43. And, and, I, and frankly, it probably mirrors my taste in music because I listened to mostly like the music from my parents' era. And I suppose all the television I watched in syndication was mostly television from my parents' era. Uh, I didn't really watch a lot of primetime. I mean, there was Dukes of Hazard, of, Cor- uh, Dukes, Dukes of, of course. Uh, you had um, Three's Company was still in, in, in primetime at the time. I remember I watched. But really, there wasn't a lot of primetime. All the stuff my parents watched, uh, I found awfully boring. All the hour-long shows... Even MASH, which now I appreciate the humor. Right. But at the time was awfully boring for me. I couldn't stand two seconds of MASH uh, (laughs) when I was growing up. Well, MASH always made me sad when I was very young because the moment that I would hear the theme song, I knew my parents were about to send me to bed for the night. It was always, you know, nine o'clock was bedtime. Um, As I got a little bit older, uh, because that, that show, of course, ran... Forever. Forever, yeah. Um, I started, you know, and, and then my curfew, my, not my curfew, my, my bedtime, uh, you know, went later into the evening. Um, MASH was one of the state, one of the shows that I would watch with my my father. Had no idea what I was watching. I mean, the, the storylines didn't make much sense. I was, I remember being incredibly bored by it much of the time. Um, you know, and, and folks, I'm, I'm talking, I was maybe six, seven, eight years old. I mean, born in 73, um, really my, my real memory of uh, primetime television, you know, choosing the shows for myself was probably about age 10. That, yeah. that was about when it began. But um, yeah, in, in terms of hour-long shows, there, there weren't many. Dukes of Hazard, which you named, A-Team, Night Rider. Fantasy Island was a yeah. huge one. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there were some. I, See, uh, I didn't even like, like a lot of the ones my friends liked, like Night Rider, A-Team, I just didn't get into didn't, those. Didn't watch them. Huh? In fact, I pretty much quit watching TV from middle school until probably after college. Now, in college, I stopped. Yeah. In like, college, there, there was too much going on. I mean, I, I preferred the nightlife and spending time with friends. So there is that four-year period. And really, even after college, uh, when I when I came back, began substitute teaching, uh, and then I made the move uh, you know, outside of the Columbus area for my first district that I taught in. I did not watch much TV during that span of you know mid to late 90s like like Seinfeld arguably the greatest comedy of all time I probably didn't see and probably didn't start watching until season five or six yeah I would say same yeah, yeah. yeah. um there were a lot even, even friends is another one that I, I came to late I mean, there were a lot of shows just in the 90s I just tuned off right. and now you know we we cut the cord but we have every possible streaming service, right. so which is still cheaper than cable. But uh, now I'm hooked again. I mean, I, there are certain shows that you know I can't live without. Um, but uh, you know, even for not being, um, you know, watching live in the '90s, you know, with syndication still and with all the cable programming before we had cut the cable, um, you know, cut the cord. Um, you know, I, I went and I almost in a very retro way, I went back and started watching a lot of those shows that I missed in the 90s. And yeah, the two big ones that I found out that I missed out on in the 90s, X-Files and Twin Peaks, which I've gone back now, of course, but uh, those were two that I probably should have made time for. Yeah, those two I did. Uh, I watched those from the very beginning. Um, and yeah, I, actually, they may have been the only two <laughs> that, that I was watching at the time. X-Files, oh, I, I you know, I, I swore loyalty uh to, to the X-Files and there was a part of me that you know was you know just the, the you know the the pop junkie and the, the geek that I was I mean 
Dana Scully was like a goddess for me. But um, yeah, no, it, it's my my TV viewing habits have gone in waves. But now MTV was another matter. I watched a lot of MTV. Maybe it's just my short attention span. Um, <laughs> a lot yeah. of MTV, even even when MTV at the in the late '80s kind of got relegated to the specialty hours, like 120 minutes or right. MTV Rap, Headbangers Ball, Headbangers and Ball. Yeah, all that. Right. Yeah, well, MTV. I you know I just saw a meme uh, yesterday on, on social on a social network. It said, you know, MTV turns 39 this year. Thank thanks for the 14 years of music. You That's, know? Right. So, That's right. But um, now, I without question though, I mean. If you were a Gen Xer, you know, you, you you could rely on your favorite television shows to begin with catchy earworms. I mean, it, they, you know, theme songs were as important, as iconic a lot of the time as the shows themselves. And without question, it was a time, you know, when, when you know, theme songs could take their sweet time. You know, I mean, sometimes they could be over a minute long and, you know... The, the shows actually dedicated time to the themes. Increasingly today, other than the the streaming services, which which seem to allow for that, um, you know, the shows that that air on network television, you know, theme songs are getting much shorter, and many shows have eliminated them altogether, um, which I think is a shame. But it's just a you know a realistic uh, depiction of, of where we are now. They want more more screen time for the show itself and well in fact and this is kind of insulting because I'm a purist when it comes to a final work of art um, and I never do this my wife she does all the time it drives me nuts Netflix of course a lot of streaming services have that option when you're minging to skip the the intro and she's like we've just watched 17 episodes of this show in a row you've seen the theme and I said I don't you understand you have to begin (laughs) that's right with the theme you do not skip the like the office she'll always I said no I I don't so I, I insist that she not skip the theme. <laughs> I do the same. Um, okay, so let's kind of lay the groundwork. What, what were your criteria coming in? From uh, criteria, and we kind of discussed part of this because we were planning on having uh, at least two more episodes of TV themes. Um, one for instrumental and one for like uh, daytime shows, game shows, cartoons, yeah. you know, not um, prime time. Mine, mine will probably focus on on animation entirely when or animation entirely okay that okay. third one but well then we gotta get game shows in there somewhere that doesn't leave anywhere for game well, shows we can we can throw game shows in although the game shows I, but the only good game shows i think were the primetime ones and that'll fit under instrumental so yeah. we're good well i i don't know i might throw in prices right because that show defined every every sick day that i had as a child that's true. you know that and trucker commercials yeah no i uh basically it was <laughs> it was frustrating because like i feel like i could we could do a podcast on every single of my choices. Oh yeah. In fact, I think we could almost do a series podcast on every single choice. So here we are, and, we, and one thing we had decided, we didn't talk about this yet, normally we choose 10 for each of us, but because TV themes are shorter, we could fit a lot more on a mixtape. Yes. So we actually chose 15, so we're gonna have 30 TV themes. And that was even frustrating. And then we narrowed it down, okay, so this time we're gonna just use TV themes with lyrics, and that's even frustrating because there are so many good ones. Right. And in kind of preparing for this episode, we realized that we're going to have to be a much, uh, much more economical with our time. Um, I could see us getting uh, down the rabbit hole on just one of these shows and oh. talking for an hour about it. Easily. And we can't allow ourselves to do that because it would be a 15-hour you know, episode. Yeah, not this time. So it's, very, it's, it's going to be very frustrating for me because I'm going to want to talk about uh, these shows and, and kind of um, experience the reverie of these shows. But we're going to really try to keep it nice and tight so we have the maximum amount of shows for you to, to remind you of. 
to remind you of your, your childhood. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the increase in number, I, it, it makes sense because in a mixtape format, you know, theme songs are so short. Um, you know, you would definitely fit more of them on than you would a five minute song. So, um, but no, I like you. I mean, we, as you said, we discussed it. Um, I, I limited myself a bit. Um, for one thing, I said that um, the theme songs could not be established hit songs prior to the series debut. Yeah, we did say that. That's yeah. correct. Um, so like, in other words, a good example would be My Life by Billy Joel, which was used for Booze and Buddies. Buddies. It was yeah. an established song prior to that. Exactly. And so we could and, not use it. Yeah. It had to be written specifically for the show. Well, no, for me, it didn't have to be written specifically. Oh, I, I stuck that. I allowed songs that had been released prior, but they had to be obscure. They had to be non-singles. They had to be songs no one knew. See, I was going to, but I had a trouble defining what obscure really, because what's obscure to you isn't necessarily to somebody who's a fan, uh, maybe, a, maybe it was an indie band and they were a big fan. So I just kept mine to those that were actually okay. written for the show. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's fair. With but, one exception, with one that was written for, uh, for the movie, but the movie was based... TV shows based on the movie, so I figured I could probably get away with that. I'm going to have something similar when we get to instrumentals. This but, is an instrumental, right? No, right, but, right. but I'm, immediately I think Mash. You know, right, um, right, right. But it's a similar situation. Yeah. Correct. Um, but no, yeah, you won't find themes here for the Wonder Years, Freaks and Geeks, that '70s show, The Golden Girls. All of those were singles that. that I don't. Even, well, I've never watched The Golden Girls. What's their theme? Uh, it's uh, Thank You for Being a Friend. Oh, never, which never uh, heard it. Yeah, it was actually released in the 70s, and it, it's all of the, well, not all of them, but that's an example where somebody else, like like My Life and Bosom Buddies, it was recorded and performed for the show by somebody other than the, the original gotcha, artist. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but I, you know, no instrumentals here, or, or spoken word themes, because spoken word, I would link that with instrumentals, and that I will, you know, I'll include when we get to our second round of TV themes later this season. And, you know, no Saturday morning cartoons, game shows, soap operas. Um, like you said, all shows had to be weekly primetime series. And I, I, I considered primetime to be 7 p.m. and after. So um, that, that would be my list coming into this. <laughs> so to reiterate, we have a lot of rules, folks. It has to be a primetime TV show with lyrics that cannot have been a song that was an established hit prior regardless if the original recording artist was used or not yes there we go there we go all right <laughs> <laughs> well last week i went first with our black and white episode so do you want to have the honors yes all i'll right. begin uh and this is one i think we're we'll already have an argument about and, and that's another thing we could spend another three hours just arguing about some of these songs uh as to what is one of the, what the greatest tv theme yes um, and I'm not going to say this is the greatest, but this has to be one of the greatest, and that's the greatest American hero. Yep. Do we that, have a match? That would be a match. Okay. Uh, the song was actually called Believe It or Not. Uh, it was written by Mike Post, who wrote every TV theme. Not everybody. He wrote quite a few. Most of his were instrumental, though, like Hill Street Blues and so on. Right. Um, and it was sung by, uh, by, by Joey Scarborough, Scarbury who, as far as I know, is a one-hit wonder. He was. Um, I did. I owned this 45. This I is did too. one of the 45s I owned. <laughs> I, I, remember the, I don't remember the actual label. It was red. I don't remember what record company, but I still remember because I played it so yep. so often. Uh, and it went to number two on Billboard. So yes. uh, some of the TV themes we'll talk about today have been released as singles. Some of them were not successful as singles, and some of them were wildly successful. Oh, yeah. And this one uh, was huge. Uh, it starred uh, William Catt, Robert Colt, and uh, Connie Selica, which... Boy, at the time I watched it, I never appreciated Connie Selica. But it is now available on, Grace McNear is now available on, on Amazon Prime. Right. 
So if you have a Prime membership, you can watch it for free. And so my wife and I watched it, um, I think it was last summer, and uh, boy, Connie Selica, man. Oh, there were so Ooh, many. How did I miss? There were so many, a number of my, oh, a number of my crushes man. are, you know, my. All I remember is I, my friend and I on the playground at Wooded Elementary School would, would play Greatest American Hero. Mm-hmm. And he was the, I don't know why he let me be the fun character. I got to be William Cat. I got to be the, the American Hero, and he got to be you know, Robert Culp and tell me what to do. Well, I, I appreciate the power play, but who wouldn't want to be the superhero? I, he, he just wanted to, he wanted to be, or maybe, or maybe I just forced him in. I don't know. <laughs> Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm a bond. And just a quick uh, fun fact, and that's all I'm going to do is just give a quick fun fact about each of these, and we can, we can move on. And of course, you can speak about it because it was yours as well. But um, after the Reagan assassination, yeah, they changed. They had the to name. change the name because the character's name, William Katz's character's name, was uh, was uh, Hinckley, and of course, the attempt uh, assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan was also Hinckley. So they changed it to Hanley hastily. And I think in the, in the middle of the second season, maybe, or maybe it was the middle of the first season, they had to change that. Yeah, and, and they finally kind of cheated because they had uh, all the supplemental characters begin just calling him Mr. H as, right. as the series went forward. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, like you, when I was a kid, I, I had the 45, and I, I vividly remember playing it and running around the house while pretending to fly, you know. Um, for me, I, I actually put it last. Um because I, I was saving it on my list. It, it actually, I consider this the crown jewel of, of my list. Um, uh, you know, it, the comedy drama series, that this was an hour long show, actually. Um, most of my themes are going to be sitcoms, right? But um, yeah, I mean, ordinary school teacher, you know, he has a chance encounter with aliens who give him a superhero costume, and said teacher immediately. Uh, loses the instruction manual and subsequently has to spend the entire series figuring out how the costume worked by trial and error. You know, when I was making the list, I immediately thought, were it made today, it would actually be an obvious metaphor for how everyone deals with technology, right? Because read the, we'll, we'll say, fine manual, or TFM, and that's the battle cry in countless internet technology forms, and it's likely to be the first answer you get to any tech-related question you post on the web. So, you know, the fact that he lost the instruction manual and didn't know how the costume worked, I mean, today, it, it, I would say, would, would it, you know, it would extend the meeting even even more. So perhaps the series is really just brilliant cultural commentary looking forward. Um, but no, it it, um, it was Electra Records. You said you couldn't ah, remember Electra, the label. Right, right. It was Electra. And actually, this show, when, when people are asked um, what 80s theme song hit number one, most people name the greatest American hero theme, which uh, is not the correct answer. It hit number two. It was Miami Vice. Miami Vice was the only theme song to hit right, number one. Right. But no, I had it too, and uh, you know. Yeah, and if you go back and revisit the show, um, don't don't have a lot of expectations. 
because we're so used to prestige TV yeah. today with high budget, um, high budgets. Um, back then, the green screen is very, very limited. The green screen oh, yes. technology that's yeah. used. I think uh, my seventh graders could probably do a better green screen on that. Um, but that's the technology of the day. And of course, they were the type of episodes that were pretty much sewn up at the end of each. Yep. There, there was a, a somewhat of a continuing line, there but was. not like in today. Yeah, no, no, no. And, you know, I, the TV show itself, I think for a lot of people, is long forgotten, but the TV theme remains. I mean, it, it has endured. It's also the answering, uh, or the, the message on, uh, the outgoing message on George Costanza's answering machine. Yes, it is. So, Believe it or know. not, George isn't in a home. Yes, so... All right. There we go. All right. Um, well, my first pick was actually Secret Agent. It was a show in the 60s, 64 to 66. Uh, Patrick McGowan started Secret Agent John Drake. It was a spy series um, that was actually adapted from a hit show in England called Danger Man. And CBS needed a 15-second theme to replace the British version. So he asked P.F. Sloan and Steve Barry, they, they were the grassroots, the, the 60s group, the, the grassroots. He asked them uh, to write the song, and then the network asked Johnny Rivers to sing the song, to perform it. Rivers actually didn't like the song at all, but he agreed to record the 15-second spot. And shortly thereafter, um, you know, the, the grassroots wrote an extended version as an instrumental. The Ventures covered it, but they did not... Uh, it, it kind of stalled on the charts. It only hit uh, in the 50s. But then the label, because the Ventures and Johnny Rivers were on the same label, they asked Johnny Rivers to actually sing the extended cut. Rivers actually wrote uh, the rest of the lyrics. And you have now one of the greatest spy TV themes, and most people don't realize it was a theme anymore. In fact, I'd say most people uh, actually connected with James Bond. But it was for the TV show Secret Agent, and the song is Secret Agent Man. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of a almost a surf rock kind of feel to it. Oh, very much. Yeah, it's got that. Sur- there are a lot of a lot of my songs. I'm I'm a sucker for surf rock. I am too. And so, uh, well, our, the theme of our podcast w- would uh, would obviously support that notion. There's a man who leads a life of danger. Everyone he meets, he stays a stranger. Read every move he makes, another chance he takes. Odds are he won't live to see tomorrow. Secret Asian man, secret Asian man. They've given you a number and taken away your name. Yeah, no, that's a great one. I considered it, but I had so many. Yeah. No, I, I just, I, I had to. I, that was one of the shows that I remember watching in syndication when I was younger. And it was a black and white show. Kids today, I think, are turned off by black and white, which is really unfortunate. Um, but yeah, it, it was only on for two two seasons. Uh, it had a very short life. But Secret Agent Man, I mean, that song has endured. It's been featured in the Austin Powers films and then the Ace Ventura films. And like I said, for whatever reason, people associated with Bond, which had nothing to do with the song right. whatsoever. So. Well, it says it says in the lyrics, Secret Agent Man, not yeah. James Bond. Exactly. All right. My, I'm assuming the next one's a match. Cheers. Absolutely. All right. Uh, yep. Ran from 1982 to 1993. I forgot it ran that long. See, when I stopped watching television in middle school, uh, I was shocked at some of the run uh, years uh, or how long the, some of the, the shows actually ran. Um, and by the way, I, I didn't do this. I was going to add up um, and all the different networks. Oh, 
and I, I see how even, many I had from each network. I didn't even think of that. I do. I can tell you that all of my picks come from ABC, NBC, or CBS. One was only a syndicated show, and the none from Fox. So that shows you that mine was pretty, nothing too current. Um, but I would say a, a majority of mine were ABC, like probably three quarters, mm. at least two thirds of mine were ABC. Okay. So yeah, I I really don't know. I, I didn't. So Greatest American Hero was ABC. This one's actually NBC. Oh yeah. And this is part of that famous Thursday night lineup. Yes. And uh, the the song is Everybody Knows Your Name, uh, which was written by uh, Judy uh, Hart Angelo and sung by uh, Gary Portnoy, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yes. Stars uh, Ted Danson, Shelley Long, Rhea Perlman, George Went, John Ratzenberger, Kelsey Grammer, Woody Harrelson, and Christy Alley. Look at that lineup for a oh, yeah. sitcom. I mean, they all went on for the most part. And if, unless I miss it, they've all gone on to become film stars or other television stars. Yeah, they did. Uh, well, except for Coach, who, of course, well, died. I didn't mention he, his he name, died. Yes, yeah, he, he died. died. He passed away. Shirley and Woody Harrelson took his place. And of course, Kelsey Grammer went on with a spinoff for Cheers uh, yeah. for Frazier. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. And here's my fun fact for this one. In a 2011 Reader's Poll, Everybody Knows Your Name was named the greatest TV theme of all time. And in 2013, TV Guide bestowed the same honor to the song. Oh, it's certainly up there. I, I um, It was number 14 on my list. I placed it right before uh, Greatest American Hero, actually. You, so you're ranking yours? Mine are not. No, no, no. I, I didn't rank them. I, I'd say the first 10 are entirely arbitrary, but the last five were among my favorite okay. themes. Cheers, I mean, it, it's, it stands, and, and I would argue it probably always will remain one of the greatest TV comedies of all time. And, you know, the Sam and Diane, I mean, they kind of set the, the standard for the will they, won't they of every show that, that followed. Um, fun fact, the, you know, first of all, Gary Portnoy and Judy Hart Angela, they were actually writing a musical at the time in New York called Preppies. And they sent around cassette uh, cassette tapes of, of their, uh, you know, the the numbers from their musical. Somehow they landed up on the Charles Brothers, who were the producers of Cheers, on the Charles Brothers' desk. They actually wanted the opening number to Preppies to be the theme song, but the song was contractually, you know, committed to, to Preppies. I think they actually went through three rounds of, of different songs before they, they finally did, settled yeah. on this one. And, and actually, uh, immediately before they came to the to what we now know as the Cheers theme, they actually had uh, a set of lyrics that paid particular focus on on the much loved womanizing bartender played by by Ted Danson, Sam. Uh, the, the lyrics actually went: "Singing the blues when the Red Sox lose, it's a crisis in your life. On the run because all of your girlfriends want to be your wife." And the Charles Brothers said to them, "We we really want the, the lyrics to be more universal." And they went back and started again and. They, they came up with the phrase where everybody knows your name and the song was just kind of built around that. But now that that theme song, I tell you what, when I hear those first piano notes, my brain still to this day conjures up that iconic title sequence 
you know, shot by shot. I, I still can see every one. Which I love because uh, it's the old paintings and illustrations yeah, from yeah. old time uh, pubs and establishments. Yeah. And twice now I've, I've gone to Boston and eaten at the bar that inspired Cheers. Um, and it's, you know, it's always a highlight of my, my trips when I, when I head out to, to Massachusetts. So it's, no, it, it is one of my favorite shows. And yep, yeah, it is another match. And that opening kind of gave it a sense of class that other sitcoms didn't have. Because most sitcoms, especially of the era, would just use clips from that particular season or from previous seasons. A lot of shows still do that. Right. But by using those, those, those drawings gave it a kind of linked it to, uh, it gave a little weight to it, linked it to a sense of past and just made it feel a little more refined. Yeah, they did. All right, what's your next one? My next one is the theme to Wonder Woman. That, that was uh, on my alternate list. Okay. Yeah, Wonder Woman. I, oh, Linda Carter is the first, she was my first real crush. I, I remember, you know, even being young, I, I had enough cognizant ability to understand Wonder Woman. That was a show I could understand. M- mine was Nancy Drew. Just. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would that that actually would be an interesting uh, one for the instrumental. I I haven't yeah. thought about that theme in years. But no, I Linda Car. Oh, oh, I was in love with Linda Carter. I later had age appropriate crushes on TV. But um, yeah, no. I, what, in fact, to this day, I I have a Wonder Woman fetish of sorts. I, I am just in love with the character because of that. I, it had an unusual production history. The show because it it, it was greenlit uh, for a series after a TV movie that featured Kathy Lee Crosby as Wonder Woman. Um, but Crosby, when the, the series was made, was replaced by Linda Carter. And um, the first season was set during World War II. It ran on ABC. And then CBS picked up the show for the next two seasons, but moved the setting to the 1970s. So, um, you know, additionally, they, they changed the show to the new adventures of Wonder Woman. And accordingly, the, that iconic theme song that, that I would include uh, with its World War II references, was rewritten, and in time it was dropped in favor of an instrumental version entirely. Um, but yeah, it, it is such an earworm. You know, it, it was it was written by ace songwriters, uh, you know, Charles Fox and Norman Gimbel. They wrote so many. Um, well, it's kind of a disco themes. number too. It is, yeah, and it's it's just fun. Uh, the Charles Fox singers belted out the vocals, though they were professionally known as the Ron Hinklin singers. And they were also uh, that the same group that na 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 nod their way through the Batman theme. So, you know, DC Comics pals Batman and Wonder Woman have a theme song connection. Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman All the world is waiting for you And the power you possess In your satin tights Fighting for your rights And the old red, white, and blue Wonder Woman Wonder Woman But yeah, all the world's waiting for you and the power you possess. Wonder Woman is my second pick. Great pick. Yeah, all my alternates so I can cross that off my list. All right. It's the Muppet Show. That is my very next pick. <laughs> my awful Kermit impersonation. <laughs> Good. I figured we'd have that one as well. Yeah. That uh, 76 to 81. Again, I can't believe it went that late. Uh, that one is the one that, that was syndicated. It didn't actually have a network itself. Uh, it was syndicated well, and then. Uh, eventually, CBS picked it up. But Did they later yeah, on? Later okay. on, they picked it up. But, but yeah, initially, 
initially it was I was it forty three that we watched it. I, I no, no, what. it was it was one. It was Saturday night, and I, it was that's why I'm saying usually the syndicated shows, the primetime syndicated shows, were shown between seven and eight. So that's where you had your game shows like. Um, Bowling for Dollars if it was local. Right. Or you had uh, Jeopardy or like Jeopardy syndicated. Yes. And you'd have The Muppet Show and I think also right after that was probably Shanana which I think was also syndicated because then 8 o'clock then the, the network came on at least in Cleveland Maybe it the, was Love Boat and Fancy Island. Maybe that's where I'm getting confused. It yes. was probably on It was on Channel 8. Ch- channel 8. Channel the, C- 8. the CBS affiliated channel. Right, but their syndicated shows primetime syndicated went from 7 to okay. 8 and then the, the gotcha. national network started at 8 o'clock. Alright, so I stand corrected. It was yeah. never actually CBS right. run. I believe. It was on this. Okay. Correct. That makes Correct. sense. That's way more technical TV information than people <laughs> need to know. Uh, Starred, uh, of course, Jim Henson and, and Frank Oz and a host of other talented puppeteers and voices uh, and a plethora of guest stars of the time. Everyone from Elton John to Roger Moore to Mark Hamill. Those are just the ones I remember. I loved they were the Mark Hamill episode. Favorite episodes. He was on as Luke Skywalker and as himself. I remember that. Yep, yep. The, the lyrics of the song changed slightly throughout the five seasons, but the musical composition essentially stayed the same. Uh, in fact, there's a great cover version of this from OK Go. Uh, really? You heard that one? Yeah. No, yeah. I've not heard In fact, that. there's an album that came out. Of course, is it something about being green, of course. I'll have to look into that. We'll put it on, our, we'll put it on a playlist or put it on our website. But it uh, basically is a cover, it's an album of cover songs by alternative artists of, show, of songs that appeared on The Muppet Show. Oh, that's awesome. Like Phenomenon. Do, 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 do. No, that, was, uh, that was actually Sesame Street. It, it was. It, so that one may well, not be on there. It, it eventually made its way, Muppet Show performed it. But right. Yeah, it was but, a but, uh, but, but OK Go does the theme song. Um, and fun, my fun fact for this one is the theme song always ended with Gonzo playing the final note with the various comic results. Yes, every time. It was fantastic. I, it, it really just sparked my imagination. You know, it was, it was presented as a variety show and featured all the recurring sketches and musical numbers, but it was interspersed with that plot line, you know, of events taking place behind the scenes with Kermit, at, you know, as the showrunner and host of the show who tried to maintain control over the overwhelming antics. It, it was just phenomenal. And the show actually was nominated for an Emmy Award for Best Comedy, Variety, or Musical Series every year during its run. And it actually won the award in its second season. So, But yeah, no, Jim Henson, what a loss that was when he died a while back. But yeah, the Muppet Show, still to this day, one of my absolute and favorites. I, 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 this is another one of those shows like Moonlighting. Where I'm, I'm always watching to see if it'll appear somewhere in streaming. And I was hopeful because Disney bought out Yeah, I was waiting Muppets. for it to be on Disney+, Plus, but it's not. And they not, have, not yet. They have a lot of other, the, the short-lived Muppet series throughout the years. Right. And they might even have Muppet Friday Night, which was on the failed Muppet show from the from the 90s. Yeah. But they do not have the original run. So I'm sure it's a licensing deal. But I thought if they, if they, if they bought out the Muppet property, they should have access to those. No, I agree. Because I'd love to go back and watch them. All right. Well, I'm going to just pull my alternates as they come up. Now, okay. Um, which in the past has been a 
problem, and I've waited <laughs> until the end, and then we lose count. So, um, now my my first uh, alternate that I will pick is actually from the Gary Shandling show. Uh, it was good song, great yeah, song. It, it I didn't was, even think of that one because I was thinking mostly network. I wasn't okay. even thinking cable. Oh yeah, I, mm. yeah. He um, it, it was his self titled Chris, Chris Isaac. Am, am I right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was his self titled uh, Showtime comedy series. Um, most people better remember him from the Larry Sanders show, but Gary Shandling. You know, I, the Gary Shandling show. There's Meta, and then there's the Gary Shandling oh, yeah. show. Oh yeah. Uh, the show. It was it was just a loose affair and the forefather of really the now ubiquitous wry single camera mode of violating that fourth wall. Shanling would slip in and out of his sitcom character and, you know, he always happened. The character himself was also named Gary. But, um, yeah, he'd talk directly to the camera. He'd comment on the supposed action. He'd walk into the studio audience gathering reactions and shaking hands. I mean, it was just... Uh, other shows have played with the format, but Shanling's show was so far... Just far more sophisticated and, and almost postmodern, if you're partial to buzzwords. But that theme song, I mean, it was just, it was so self-referential. Well, it was meta, you know? like you said. It was. This is the theme to Gary's show, the opening theme to Gary's show. Gary called me up and asked if I would write his theme song. I mean, it's just... This is the I, music that you hear yeah. when you watch the credits. Exactly. It's almost halfway finished. I still remember it. Yeah. I haven't watched that yeah. show it's, in 30 years. It is amazing. And yeah, you're right. Singer, singer Chris Isaac actually appeared on screen... Um, he, he was on a season four episode in 1990. Um, in the clip, you know, it really demonstrates Shanling's trademark breaking of the fourth wall because Isaac plays the opening theme to the show and wanders among the audience as, as a very neurotic Gary Shanling tries to deal with it. <laughs> so um, sadly, though, this underappreciated genius uh, show of its time, you know, the theme is largely unrecognized in many lists of the greatest TV themes, and yeah, I've never understood why. And that was HBO, right? Showtime. 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 Okay, so again, you could get away with that stuff in early cable. You could, you could be experimental. Like, prime time would never have taken a chance on something oh, like I'm, that. Absolutely not. Now, now, take it easy. I know what you're thinking. Oh, please, Mr. Shandling. Do we have to sing really, truly? Yes, you do, because you're here, and now you have to pay for it. So, it only takes 41 seconds. It'll be painless. I'm it's not like I'm asking you to sing the theme to 60 minutes, and you have to sit there and go, tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Okay? I'll point out the words for you. Ready, set, go. This is the theme to Gary's show. The whole prestige TV movement that we've seen over the last 10 years absolutely is because uh, networks like HBO um, ever in Showtime have pushed the envelope. Yes, they have. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, come on, knock on my door. Three's Company. <laughs> my favorite sitcom as a kid, which is kind of twisted because I was probably way too young to be watching it, but I was also way too young to really understand the innuendo. <laughs> and there was much of and it. And there was a lot of innuendo. So most of it went way over my head. I just liked the whole kind of comedy of errors uh, aspect, the oh, farce yeah. aspect of it. And it really, well, I, I even, you know, 
teaching Shakespearean comedy in class, I, I often talk about Three's Company as an example and show them a few clips because it, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, it ran from 77 to 84 on ABC, starred uh, John Ritter, may he rest in peace, uh, Joyce DeWitt, uh, Suzanne Summers, and many other Christy uh, lookalikes. Right. Norman Fell and Don Knotts. Uh, it was written by Joe Rosposo, who uh, also, fun fact, wrote the theme for Sesame Street and all the other Sesame Street classic songs like See Us for Cookie, Being Green, and Sing. Really? Which later the, the Carpenters, uh, of course, covered Sing. Yeah, that was the same. I did not know Therese Company was the same. Same, same, same writer? Songwriter. And that's... it was uh, based on a British sitcom called uh, Mad About the House, which makes sense because the British farce is kind of its own Right. genre yeah and it always felt to me like a like a british farce so it makes sense that it's based on on a british show yeah no i love it it actually did not make my list because i had to cut myself off i i just had too many songs um this was one that just it, it didn't even make my alternates and i wanted it to make my alternates at the very least and i i had to cut it so i'm, I'm very grateful you included it Come and knock on our door. Come and knock on our door. We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. With the kisses are hers and hers and his. Three's company too. Come and dance on our floor. Come and dance on our floor. Take a step that is new. Take a step that is new. We've a lovable space that needs your face. Three's company too. You'll see that life is a ball again. Laughter is calling for you. And that's another one. If it is, I haven't checked, but if it is somewhere on streaming, that can oh, be very dangerous. It's got to be. Because I will go down the rabbit hole in a hurry. Yeah, it's got to be. My next pick would be Moonlighting by Al Jarreau. Yeah, we have a match. Um, you know, this song about night owls who unexpectedly find love in a serendipitous fashion, it actually turned out to be one of Al Jarreau's biggest hits. And, you know, it's the theme song to the comedy mystery series Moonlighting, which was it remains to to this day one of my 10 favorite shows of all time I mean, without question um and we've talked about it on previous on a previous episode i know um but it's the show that made bruce willis a household name and it gave civil civil shepherd a, a career resurgence um inside the entertainment industry the show is remembered for that bitter onset feuding between willis and shepherd you know both of whom vowed never to work with each other ever again after the show ended um but, you know, the theme was just, it's so classy. I, I'm a sucker for that jazzy vibe anyway. And um, eventually it was made into a full-length song. In 87, it was included on a soundtrack to Moonlighting, um, which actually I, I own the soundtrack. It was a, it, on vinyl, no less. It, it's, it's a wonderful soundtrack. It I ha- remember you playing that. Yeah, it, it actually, Sybil Shepherd actually is featured on two songs from their black and white. Blue Moon, Noir. she sings Blue Moon. Blue Moon and yeah. I Told You I Love You, Now Get Out. And Bruce Willis actually performs Good Lovin' from the... Uh, is that where you got the, the idea for doing his Bruno album? I, that, I have no idea. <laughs> um, Probably. But yeah, no, no, so many good songs. Some walk by now. Watch them when dawn is 
and actually the series itself, I mean, music was, was such a primary concern, you know, in the filming of Moonlighting. But yeah, yeah. the single went to 23 on Billboard. Yeah, it did. Yeah. I, um, but no, I, I love the show still to this day. And I, I, I actually own it on DVD. Um, but I might have to borrow that because, because my wife and I really want to watch it really? again. And I didn't know that you owned it. So yeah. you shouldn't have said that because now we're going to commandeer it. <laughs> no, that's fine. I need to find where it is. All my DVDs are kind of in storage because now it's all streaming. But yeah, I'll find it and, and loan it to you, definitely. Um, but no, it's, that would be my next pick and you know, deservedly so, one of my favorite shows of all time. So, Well, this next one was an, was an alternate song from a, from a past episode of yours. Gilligan's Island. Yeah. You didn't even include it, did you? It's on my alternate list. No, I again. figured you would because no. you included it last yeah, time. Yeah, on my for alternate sailing, I list think. again. Yeah, uh, Gilligan's Island. We we discussed it earlier, but uh, it ran from sixty four to sixty seven. Originally in black and white, and then eventually color. And then they went back and colorized some of the uh, from earlier seasons for syndication. That one was on CBS, starring Bob Denver, Jim Backus, and Don Wells. And uh, the song was written by Sherwood Schwartz, who wrote other TV themes that we may talk about I'm later sure in this episode. We, we might, yes. And George Weil, and sung by the folk group The Wellingtons. It seemed like a lot of these theme songs were uh, recorded by folk bands with the Something Something Singers or the Something Family Singers. And this was The Wellingtons. Uh, my fun fact for this one is that, uh, and I, you mentioned this, I think, on the Sailing Broadcast, that originally they just featured, the song featured the characters that were kind of the primary actors, but they left off the professor and Marianne. And I think the line said something about the rest. Yeah. Well, Bob Denver, who was the star of the show, uh, insisted that they rewrite the theme song and include those two so the entire cast would be included. The studio balked at it because, of course, it's an extra expense. And so then he said, fine, then you need to cut my character out of the song. Yep. And so they finally relented and, and went in and, uh, and we, uh, re- re-recorded, rewrote and recorded the theme song that we all know today. Yeah. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing man, the skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. started getting rough, the tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. The ship's aground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle, with Gilligan, the skipper too. A millionaire and his wife, the movie star, the professor and Mary and the, the change when they when they included Marianne and the professor, it also um, that was it was simultaneously when the show went from black and white to to color. Right, they had an entirely different workup. Um, talk about crushes! Now that was syndication before our time, but I watched it religiously in reruns. Okay, so here uh, uh, before you say it, right? This is one of those Elvis Beetle type things. Yes, it are is. you a ginger or a Marianne? Which are you? I am a Marianne. So am I. Yeah, so I'm, I now I'm a girl next door kind it, of guy. I am too, but it's real close because I have an affinity for brunettes and redheads both. So it's um, which but, you didn't know she was a redhead until season two, but true. Um, but yeah, blondes, plenty of beautiful blondes out there, but I always seem to lean toward. I thought you were going to say ginger and redheads. No, I. And we agree on that. It would. It would, would I hate been, it when we agree. That's yeah. no fun. Um, <laughs> she's a close I can play the other side if you prefer oh no, because I didn't no. care for Ginger at all yeah no I, I, I there is something about the girl next door and just the innocence and she was just 
Oh, she was so cute. Yep. So, yep. All right, Gilligan's Island. Yeah, I I did not um, include it on my list because honest, I put it on the alternates because I really had this feeling you were going to include it, and that that's why. And I was it was a hunch, and I'm glad it paid off because yeah, I, I put it on my. Yeah, that was one of the th- we mentioned early in the episode that I watched all my shows basically were syndicated shows, and so even though it came out in what did I say sixty four to sixty six, um, I'm sure I or sixty four sixty seven. I'm sure I watched every single one of those episodes oh, yeah. multiple times uh, in the afternoon or in the evenings on Channel 43. Yeah. Well, and like we said, I, I think I brought this up during the sailing episode too. John Williams actually composed the original theme. It was going to be a Calypso. Right. And then they right. they changed it uh, to the, the Ballad of Gilligan's Isle that we know now. And um, and John Williams did all the incidental music for it, of course, but uh, at least in the first season. But it, yeah, it's just... What an amazing show! I mean, it, it really set the bar high for you know the all, all the crazy antics and the slapstick comedy. There would have been no Three's Company without Gilligan's Island. I right? Mean, it, you know that that idea of the misunderstanding. I think Gilligan's oh, Island yeah. in many ways that's true. Invented dramatic it, so. irony. Yes. All right. Well, my next song, um, this theme song, I don't think you'll have because I don't think you were a fan. But I went with True Blood. And the, the name of the theme song was Bad Things. Uh, Jay Severett performed it. Um, if you were a True Blood fan, I, I was. And the opening credits to this hit HBO vampire drama series, it was a wonder to behold. I mean, that, there were women feverishly praying, at least three shots of a black church and then a white woman being baptized by two men. But that's juxtap- you know, the juxtaposition because you know, then immediately we also see a dive bar, a passionate couple making out on a pool table, a black lingerie-clad woman posing on her bed, and multiple nude people enjoying group sex in various positions. And you add to that, Yikes. yeah, well, it, it was it was it's a family show. Well, Alan. well, the opening montage didn't actually show any of those naughty bits just... of, of the naked you know couples, but it is what it is. But um, yeah, then you add to that Venus flytrap eating frogs, animal carcasses mounted, hung, or left on asphalt and a battered fox corpse slowly being overtaken by thousands of maggots, and images of African-Americans being beaten by police and a very young, very young boy in a Klansman robe, uh, you know, his massive unblinking eyes staring back at you. All of this, and then a sign that reads, God hates fangs, F-A-N-G-S. Um, you know, it was just a shocking blend of imagery before the show would even begin. Um, that, that was just strikingly layered. It, it was practically a short film in itself. You know, denizens of people who would say that they love and respect God, but yet they can't avoid their darkest impulses, whether those be sexual or bloody. And, you know, this back and forth between Christian salvation and moral bankruptcy is accompanied perfectly by the theme song. I mean, it's, it's just a gravelly, room-shaking, bayou-flavored theme song with a dirty guitar riff and, and driving vocals. Jay Severett's Bad Things is without question one of the greatest TV themes of all time. When you came in, the air went out And every shadow filled up with doubt I don't know who you think But before the night is through I want to do bad things with you I'm the kind to sit up in his room 
heart sick and eyes filled up with blue I don't know what you've done to me But I know this much is true I want to do bad things with you And as I said, I'm a horror junkie But, you know, True Blood Oh, I, I loved, loved the show So I have not, I've not watched it Never seen it? You would, I think you'd really enjoy it. And the last season started to, you know, rehash some some tropes from earlier in in the run. But I, that first season especially. I, I don't know though the way you describe it. I might need a note from my mom before I can watch. <laughs> I mean, there, yeah, there were some. Uh, there, it was it was not uh, a family uh, oriented show, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. But it, it's oh, if you love vampires, I mean. These one, the vampires in this show did not sparkle. I, I promise you that. So, um, that's good no, to know. Great show. So you do you speak some Yiddish? Shlemiel and Shlemazel. Yep. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. and Shirley. I love this one. I love this show. I probably like this. I probably watched this and liked it more than Happy Days. Uh, it was a spinoff from Happy Days. I mean, you talk about some of the spinoffs on the '70s shows, like the Norman Lear shows, and 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 what if you look at. Norman Lear would be like All in the Family and the Jeffersons, which then had, um, help me out here, what were some of the spinoffs? Oh, boy, well, um, All in the Family, uh, the spinoffs from All in the Family directly were Maude, uh, the Jeffersons, and later Archie's Place and Gloria. Right, but But Happy Days, that's a different universe, but Happy Days? Yeah, Happy Days was um, Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy. Those are the two that that I know of. Joni loves Chachi. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> For good reason. It really wasn't a great <laughs> I show. That. Well, it, uh, it it aired from 76 again to 83. I, if you would have told me, you know, if you would have asked me a question and bet a lot of money, if the Laverne and Shirley was still on the air in 1983, I would have said you're crazy, but it actually was. It was. Um, and it was on ABC as well, starring Penny Marshall, Cindy Williams, Michael McKeon. Love, I'm a huge Michael McKeon fan. If you watch Better Call Saul, it's his oh, yeah. best P- TV yep. performance ever. Uh, and uh, David Lander. Uh, it was written by Charles Fox. The song was written by uh, Charles Fox and Norman Gimbel and performed by Cindy Greco. And it actually became kind of a minor hit. Yeah, she was a one-hit wonder. So It, it went to number 25 on Billboard. It did. Do you know where they found her? No, I don't. Cindy Greco, first of all, the the songwriters, they, they were at Six Flags uh, in California. And... Um, specifically, it was uh, Six Flags uh, Magic Mountain uh, in California. And um, Greco had a summer gig. She was one of the summer college students employed during the summer at the theme park to, to sing. She was one of the singers that performed on stage. She was actually performing on a stage by the roller coasters when Charles Fox and Norman Gimbel um, discovered her. And as soon as she finished her set, the two, they immediately asked her to sing their theme song, and she happily agreed. So this girl you know, out of from nowhere was just tagged because they, they heard her singing at, at a theme park, you know, and yeah, it hit number 25, made her a one-hit wonder. Um, a true one-hit wonder. Uh, yeah, absolutely. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Schlemiel, Schlemiel, Hassenbeff Incorporated. We're gonna do
I love that you ask your Jewish partner, does he speak Yiddish? Of course well, I know I, I said that assuming the, I, okay. the answer, of course. Do, do you know what the words mean? Uh, no. All right. Um, well, let me school you for a moment. All right. A shlemiel is an inept, clumsy person, and a shlemazel is a very unlucky person. So there's actually a Yiddish saying that translates uh, all of that in a, a funny way to explain them both. A shlemiel is somebody who often spills his soup, and a shlemazel is the person it lands on. Oh, okay. Well, that, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, someone who's clumsy and inept, and you know, someone who's very, very unfortunate, very unlucky. So, well, if you, and if you're from the Ohio uh, area, by the way, and if you've been following any of the politics over the last six months, um, there's a great parody video. Have you seen this? Uh, about Mike, oh, DeWine yes, Mike DeWine and Dr. And Dr. Uh, Dr. Amy Acton. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's it, it put into the uh, Laverne and Shirley. It's, it's animated. Yeah. And the song is, has been re-recorded uh, to, ch- to change the lyrics. Right. And it is oh, one of the greatest things great. I've seen on the internet in years. We, we should... Uh, I maybe post that on our Facebook or, or, or even on our website, the you yeah. know, link to the video. Because when I saw that, when, when it was it's released perfect. about a month and a half, two months ago, I, I just laughed hysterically. It yep. was great. It's one of those th- TV theme songs that's still in my mind, like it will just randomly pop up. Yep. In fact, I just thought of this. This is really random. But I remember in elementary school, our gym teacher, I think his name was Mr. Bamberger. I remember him. And he would yes. count us off. And he would be like, okay, one, two, three. And then in my mind, Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> and I kept thinking, how does he not break out into the Laverne and Shirley theme song? Because I just couldn't hear someone counting off without. Right, yeah. I, I guess um, Penny Marshall, who played Laverne, she, when she was a young girl going to school, she and her girlfriends would uh, connect arms you know, at the elbows. And they would, it was a hopscotch thing. Right, right. They, they would say this, and then they would run. And then they would stop, and then they'd, Start over and, you know, Shlemio, Shlemazo, you know, Hassan Pfeffer and Corp. Hassan Pfeffer is a, is a stew. I don't, I have no idea where the incorporated comes from. All right. Well, my next pick, you knew it was coming. Because, um, you know, definitely we have fans out there that totally expect it. Uh, it is I'll Be There For You by the Rembrandts. And it is the theme song to Friends. Um, you know, the songwriter, her name was Allie Willis. She wanted out of her publishing deal with uh, the Warner Chapel labor, label. And um, I, I guess they, they told her there was a TV show airing in three weeks and they uh, had just decided they wanted the theme song. So the label told her that if she wrote the theme, they would let her out of her publishing contract. So she agreed. Um, and then unexpectedly, the song exploded. Uh, the theme was performed by the Rembrandts, of course. They were two guitar players um, named Danny Wilde and, and Phil Solem. They recorded the song because they were the only group signed to the Warner Brothers label who was available that day. And since Warner Brothers covered uh, or owned Friends, they wanted to make sure the theme was written on their own publishing company. Um, but yeah, the popularity of that show, I mean, it, it, it exposed the theme to a mass audience. The song was actually never released. It, it, it was just DJs playing the, the song. So, um, you know, it eventually became the number one airplay record of the year. Um, but the Rembrandts, they never wanted it to come out as a single because they didn't write the song. They were very serious about they wanted to be they they wanted all songs that they recorded and released to be, you know, that they were the the songwriters. So Warner Chapel, they they let the Rembrandts record a full length version of the song, and basically the, the song needed a bridge and a second verse anyway. So the Rembrandts wrote those, and then um, the label, you know, gave them the. the the songwriting credits on the extended version, but they don't own the, they're not songwriters on the the theme itself. So no one told you life was gonna 
but the ironic bit uh, that that friends title sequence which i'm sure everybody remembers it's the six of them uh splashing around in a, in a mock-up of a fountain in new york city central park as the song played according to jennifer aniston the cast actually hated both the theme song and the fountain the fountain dancing and that all six of them just they hated the entire opening to that show. Yeah, I can see it's kind of awkward. It is, but no, it's um, it's a very catchy, very infectious tune. Uh, it's a bit more pop than I would usually go, but the Rembrandts themselves, um, surprisingly, this is unlike anything else they've recorded. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of uh, an alternative indie yeah, band. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's you know that song, uh, definitely one of the. It's it's going to go down in the annals of television history. Well, one of the most if we didn't include it, songs of all time. If we didn't include it, somebody would come burn down our house. Oh, so, so <laughs> we had to include it. Definitely would. So there you go. I'm, I'm not an anti-Friends. In fact, I, I'm my wife was a huge fan, and I'm sure I watched all of them with her. Oh, I watched every episode. Um, yeah, but I just uh, it's it's a little bit too much. Yeah, you know, at this point, yeah, I, it's just a very unrealistic depiction of you know it's well it's well written it's well produced oh it's it's well performed the comedic timing was yeah stellar um but no i like i think of shows that have come like how i met your mother to me that is far a far more accurate depiction of new york than Mm -hmm. friends ever was but of course right over there on dvd i have every single episode that's really? my, my wife's, but yeah, <laughs> right over there. Yeah. Right next to the Seinfeld, which are mine. Yep. No, I, I did. I enjoyed Friends. I, I did not get into the hype like a lot of people did, but I, I watched every episode. And, you know, I, I I often imagine sitting back with a few friends drinking a coffee at Central Perk. So, you know, it's I, I can appreciate it. All right. Well, here's the story. Of a lovely lady? Yeah. <laughs> Brady Bunch. <laughs> do you have that one on your list? I do. I hoped you did. Yes. 1969 to 1974, uh, that one was also on ABC, a lot of ABC, like I said. Starred Robert Reed, Florence Henderson, uh, Marie McCormick, Barry Williams, Eve Plum, I could go on. I was going to say, are you going to name all? I'm not going to name them all. And Um, Ann B. Davis, let's not forget Alice. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh, This this was also written by uh, Sherwood Schwartz, so it's interesting that he not only produced a lot of these shows, but he actually had a hand in writing them. Um, He... um, also, Frank uh, Frank Duvall, and it was uh, sung by Peppermint Trolley. Yes. <laughs> Love that. Uh, uh, does get pe- more sexy than that. Peppermint Trolley Company yeah. uh, for season one. Um, and then the children kind of took over singing the theme song yeah. in, in later episodes and later seasons. And the fun fact for this one is that the show was originally called... The Brady Brood. The Brady Brood. Yeah. Because uh, The Wild Bunch had just come out as a film, and it was a movie about basically gangsters and outlaws and they they were afraid that people were going to connect uh that film to the brady bunch just by that that word bunch uh thankfully thankfully they they did not call it the The brady Brady brood because you know it would have killed the lyric you know much more than a hunch i um yeah no it legend has it it, would rhyme with food though it would would. yeah that's true (laughs) that's true here's a story of a lovely lady Somehow form a 
legend has it that um, Christopher Knight was singing the theme on set during production, and that's what gave Schwartz the idea to have the kids then sing it uh, beginning in I will say it's the two. finest example of getting your exposition out of the way before the show starts. Oh, without question. Because you can drop in anywhere, any episode, any season, and after that, whatever, 24 seconds, you know exactly what the deal is. Yeah, we still don't know whatever happened to Tiger. No. That dog yeah. just disappeared. I think <laughs> he ate too much of the a fake uh, AstroTurf in the backyard. Possibly, yeah. Um, could be. Um, no, I, I, who did not grow up on the Brady Bunch and, you know, uh, Maureen McCormick was just, you know, to, again, you want to talk about early crushes, but uh, she, uh, oh, I'm, I felt so bad for her when that football hit her in the nose. Yeah. Always. So, yeah. but no, Brady Bunch was definitely on my list and for good reason. Um, and of course, once they began singing the theme, they started putting out albums as the Brady Oh, Six. yeah, which I believe you had on CD at one point. I, well, I had their greatest hits. Oh, okay. Um, and I still still do have it. It's, it's a sunshine day. It's a sunshine day, and when, when it's time to change. Which was the episode where Bobby's voice was changing, so they had to rewrite Peters. the song. Peter, they Peter, had to rewrite yeah. the song yeah. because and, his uh, voice was changing. Uh, there's a horrible rendition of American Pie that I hope never, <laughs> oh, never my hear gosh. again. But, um, yeah, it's... Oh, the Brady Kids, and really, they're they're touring in the, those albums. They were it was largely because they were in competition with the Partridge Family, so uh, as rivals on television. But nope, it was on my list. So yeah, you got me on that one. Another match. All right. Well, my next song is actually a Netflix original. Uh, the song itself, it's called You've Got Time, and it's by Regina Spector, who I love. I love Regina Spector. I have her first couple music. albums. Yeah, yeah I, my wife and I, we went to see her in concert a, a couple years ago, and I mean, she, she puts on a hell of a show, too. Um, but yeah, singer-songwriter and pianist Regina Spector, she recorded the theme You've Got Time for Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, the, the show revolves around, of course, the character of New York New Yorker Piper Chapman, who is sent to a women's federal prison for possessing a suitcase full of drug money that belonged to her drug smuggler, former lover. And, you know, the song was officially released on uh, on iTunes in July 2013, but uh, the song's lyrics, I mean, it's this is just a theme song that's perfect because the song's lyrics suggest animals trapped in a cage, which is ideal for the show, and then, you know, the song begins with Spectre's aggressive guitar playing and then softens during the bridge, generating really kind of an, almost an aura of hope. And then when Spectre sings the title refrain, it works literally for the prison motif, but kind of also alludes to the show's themes of redemption and forgiveness. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful song by an incredible songwriter, and I mean, it, it it's had to make my list. Animals, the animals, trap, 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 till the cages fall. The cages fall, the day is new, and everyone is waiting, waiting on you and you. Think of all the roads, think of all the crossings Taking steps is easy, standing still is hard Remember all their faces, remember all their voices Everything is different the second time around I watched the first 
season, maybe two, basically as far as the, the actual memoir, memoir in which it's based. Right. At that point, I don't know if I just lost interest or if it was a little too much for me. I, yeah. But I watched, I, I watched part of it. Yeah, I, I, I stuck with it for the first two seasons. Yeah, after season two, I... Is it still even, is it still um, a thing? I think it ended last year. Okay. I think 2019, it, it finally came to a close. But um, it, was, it was, a you know, being based on a true story, it was an interesting concept right. for a and, show. Yeah, and when the, the early seasons, at least uh, the first two that I watched, I mean, they were, it was very clever writing. I yeah. mean, it was it was well-written, well-acted. I suppose um, it maybe was a little too gratuitous at points. I mean, I'm not a prude. Um, and I believe that certain stories call for certain right. scenes have done artistically and are part of the story. Absolutely. But then, of course, we all know the movies and shows that just throw gratuitous scenes in for the sake of, of trying to sell the show. Yep. And so I felt like it kind of walked that line a little bit. Yes, it did. All right. All right. Uh, the next one, uh, you're, you know, I know gratuitous sex in this show. <laughs> if there is, I missed that episode. It's The Adams Family. <laughs> It's on my alternates list. Which came out uh, between 64 and 66, again, on ABC. Yep. It starred uh, Carolyn Jones, uh, Mr. John Astin, who was uh, the father of Samwise Gamgee, and uh, Ted Cassidy. It was written by uh, Vic Mizzy, Vic Mizzy, mm-hmm. and the song was released as a single but did not hit the charts. Uh, my fun fact on this one is the show is uh, based on a series of New Yorker cartoons that was drawn by Charles Adams that began to appear in the magazine in 19. 19- 38. Yeah. Oh, great show. I always preferred the Munsters to the Adams Family. I did family. too. I did too, but I wasn't allowed to pick the Munsters because you said it had to have lyrics. Part two. We're going to do a okay. part two. Okay. Yes, I was, I was much more of a Munsters fan. Yeah, I, I was as well. But I does not take away my love for the Adams Family. And I mean, even at the ballpark, I mean, when the organ, they play. I mean, this, this is a song that in popular culture has not gone away. used in advertising it's followed every film adaptation it's followed to the broadway adaptation of the show um and even the animated uh version that just came out last year um you know vic mizzy he used primarily a harpsichord and the finger snaps uh really to, to i mean that that defines the theme and lurch who and does lurch the... yeah ted cassidy Neat. Would, he, yeah he would punctuate the lyrics Sweet. with those rhyming words yeah um but now the show's producers they, they wanted Mizzy's input on the introduction and opening credits entirely. So they they urged him to direct the main title down to everything from positioning the cast to explaining how best to get their finger snaps perfectly in sync. I mean, it was it is it is an iconic opening without question. And I will give the Adams family this. I mean, I'll give them props for at least being f- far more realistic than the Munsters. I never understood how a vampire and Frankenstein's creature 
<laughs> went uh, to work. Well, not just that, but how they procreated a werewolf. You know? Oh, wow, well, yeah. <laughs> but but I, that was part of the fun of the monster. Right, monsters, right, of right, right. Yeah, um, the and, Herman go off to work right yeah, in his and, car, and, and the and the ugly niece, you know, Mar- Marilyn. <laughs> That's great. Uh, but now the Adams family too. I mean, both of them are classic uh, series of the macabre. And it's such a Twilight Zone twist having it, her as the ugly. Yeah. Niece. It, well, absolutely. Which is another show I couldn't do because it didn't have lyrics. <laughs> Part folks, we are doing in about three <laughs> weeks. We're doing a part yeah, two. We, we made our themes. original lists without any sort of qualifications, and um, just about every single one of mine is instrumental. So I had to completely revamp my list. Well, my problem was I had such a long list that I needed to rein it in, and I figured if we split it up into two different episodes, actually three, because like I said, I'm going to do animation on the third one entirely for for my picks. But um, I, it just it helped me to you know kind of whittle down that that very lengthy list of of theme songs so no it's good it's good i'm looking forward to doing that one all right my next one is the fresh prince of bel-air yeah i i thought about that because it's such an iconic song but i i didn't watch it so yeah i i didn't watch it at the time we were actually at school we were bg at the time that's even more reason why we didn't watch it um but it you know i've seen it in syndication since it actually has its moments it's it's very well written and Will Smith. I mean, he's just such a likable um, actor. I mean, you know, whether you whether you dig his stuff or not, I would say some of it is kind of schmaltzy, and certainly it's it, well, it's very kid friendly, uh, or at least it was before he uh, switched to more dramatic roles. But um, yeah, Yo Home de Bel Air was the actual title of the theme to Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Um, yeah, well, in '89, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince I, they won the first ever rap Grammy. For, for the lighthearted single parents just don't understand. So, you know, just based on that song and its rotation on MTV, um, Will, Smooth, Will Smith proved, you know, quite adept in front of the camera. So when it was finally time for a network TV show to incorporate hip-hop culture, Smith was just the obvious choice. And um, the show was the NBC sitcom, right? Another NBC show. Um, and it was just about a streetwise kid from Philly whose mother sends him to the wealthy enclave of Bel Air, California to live with his aunt and uncle. Um, so it's like a fish out of water, classic fish out of water. That's all it was, story. yeah. And, um, you know, Smith and his, his partner, they, they wrote the theme song, of course, which became unquestionably their most popular work. Um, but they didn't disband uh, during the the show. I mean, they, they continued to Because I, uh, I always imagine Jazzy Jeff is out there bagging groceries somewhere. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing now, okay. um, but, he, but he was certainly, they were still recording. In fact, their biggest hit, Summertime, uh, by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, it was actually released after the first season of the show. And, and Jeff, DJ Jazzy Jeff, he actually made frequent appearances on the show. He was Will's friend Jazz, and his scenes usually ended in being forcibly ejected by Will's Uncle Phil. Um, but, you know, this is one of those themes that you're never going to find on any of the greatest TV themes compilations. Um, because it, it was you never... You know, the license could probably yeah, put it on there. exactly. It was never released as a single because the duo's record label, Jive, they just wouldn't allow it. And they, they refused to, to give licensure or permission to anybody to use it because they... Well, at the time, they were afraid that it would saturate the airwaves and detract from the record sales. But uh, today, they just they're, they're, they cling on to it and they will not release it for greatest hits. So I always find that hits. interesting. And there's a show I'm going to talk about later that had issues with licensing. Because you think that you cut a television show a break because it's going to help promote that single. Yeah. And in you know not not just the, the the but promote the show itself. And so like if you were to include that on a Spotify 
greatest hits album of TV themes, you would think that would inspire people with nostalgia to go back and you know search for the show and pay for it, and oh, stream absolutely. it. Yeah. So I never understood some of the strict licensing. It's no different than you know DJs playing records and basically you know, the radio is just a commercial for the record. True. And you'd think um, it would be the same with a lot of the licensing deals with music. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and all shooting some b-ball outside of the school when a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight and my mom got scared and said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. I whistled for a cab and when it came near, the license plate said fresh and it had dice in the mirror. If anything, I can say that this cab was rare, but I thought, man, forget it, yo, home's the Bel Air. All right. The Love Boat. Do not have that one. Oh, why? I, I did not include Jack. It was another one Shocked. like Three's Company that I, I just had to I had to cut myself off. I, I wanted to. I mean, it, it is like such bad lounge music. I mean, it's. Oh, I, I imagine. Me. Yeah, I imagine Bill Murray when he did the lounge singer on the Saturday Star Wars. Live doing. Yeah. Here's another one that boat. shocked me. What year do you think this went off the air? Uh, it would have been mid to late 80s 1987 yeah I was gonna say it, it ran I would away. I would have said maybe 81 82 but 87 no, went from ran. 1977 also on ABC yeah went from 1977 to 87 starring Gavin McLeod Bernie Koppel Ted Lang Fred Grange and Lauren Tews among many others yeah uh, written by Charles Fox and Paul Williams and uh, it was actually recorded by Charo <laughs> <laughs> it didn't chart anywhere I don't know if it was a single but I want to find that version and put it on a playlist somewhere. I I don't know that I ever need to hear that version (laughs) ever in my my lifetime. Fun fact, and I'm going to have to ask my wife about this. Fun fact, she's not a a Love Boat watcher, but she is a Charles Angels watcher. She watches Uh, that now on streaming. And in 1979, the season premiere of Charlie's Angels was a crossover episode. Yes, it was. With Charlie's Angels. Yep. Uh, So I'd like to see that. Yeah, I am. I know I've seen that episode in syndication, but um, yeah. Apparently, they go to some island to try to solve right. the mystery, and yeah, the um, Love Boat characters are there. Yeah, on and, port. And, and they also because Love Boat ran immediately after, uh, I think it was after, not before, uh, Fantasy Island. The the two, I mean, they were you know a block, a two hour block of television. So, I thought it, well, I thought it was Love Boat then Fantasy Island. Is it was eight it o'clock was Love Boat and nine o'clock was Fantasy okay, Island? I possibly. thought. Um, I, I just know they were they were back to back, and um, I know that there was a Fantasy Island Love Boat uh, crossover. Right, um, that makes sense because they're all Aaron Spelling. Love, exciting and new. Come aboard, we're expecting you. Floats back to you. Love Soon we'll be making another run. The love boat from a 
this is something for everyone Set a course for adventure Your mind on a new Jack Jones version, the, the you know the theme song itself, it's it is just it's one of those songs that's so so bad it's good, and I, I wanted to include it, and again I just had to cut myself off. So, oh, very happy that you did. All right, well my next one, you ready? Yep. Here we come, walking down the street. You know where I'm going? Yeah, and it's on my list, so I'm going to have to cross it off. Pick an alternate, yep. which is fine because I have a lot of alternates I want to use. So I will cross off The Monkees. Yes. Um, the theme song, it was the first song written and recorded for The Monkees TV series, uh, which ran on NBC from 66 to 68. Uh, it was written to introduce the Irreverent Act. Uh, a portion of it was used as the theme song for the show, and it was written by songwriter and producers Tommy Boyce and, and Bobby Hart. Um they were hired to write uh, three songs for the show's pilot, including the theme. When they wrote it, though, the cast had not yet been chosen, and, and so they had very little direction. The show was pitched as an American version of The Beatles, and it was very loosely based, very loosely based, on The Beatles' movie A Hard Day's Night. Uh, the finger snaps and the Here We Come line um, were largely influenced by Dave Clark Five. They had a song called Catch Us If You Can, where they sing Here We Come Again, Catch Us If You Can, and so that that kind of spurred or um, began influenced the, the song itself here we come walking down the street we get funniest looks from everyone we meet hey hey we're the monkeys and people say we monkey around but we're too busy singing to put anybody down The Monkees, they didn't play their own instruments on their early albums. Um, so very often the only band member to appear on any one song would be the lead vocalist, which in the case of the theme song was Mickey Dolenz. And, and you know, the song, it was produced by the song's writers. Um, so uh, the band, you know, they didn't have much voice. They really weren't free to perform and to write their own music until probably at the very least until season two of the show right and you know people they they they're often panned and and you know people laugh and say that they're not genuine musicians until you listen to the album head yes head is incredible right um but even even the later singles that they actually wrote them last train to clarksville it's a, it's a vietnam protest song um pleasant valley fantastic. sunday is one of my favorites yeah oh, definitely that and i'm not your stepping stone of course their biggest hit probably as I'm a believer, which was Neil Diamond. But right. um yeah, eventually I they they did know how to play. They were their characters were chosen by the by the network because they were musicians. Um and yeah, they were manufactured, but they it's not like the boy bands that we see come and go. I mean this was they, these were actually talented. They guys. developed and they started out yeah. as a manufactured they, they product, yeah. but then they eventually kind of came into their own. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not your stepping stone. That's kind of a precursor to punk. That song. Oh yeah. In many yeah. Ways. There's, yeah. Mike. I mean, they were all very talented, like you mentioned. You know, Peter Tor could play everything. Yeah. Um, of course, it, it makes sense that they hired Davy Jones to have a Brit because if yeah. you're going to try to do a parody of the British Beatles, you should have one yeah. that can at least talk like a Brit. Absolutely. But Mike Nesmith, I mean, that guy is probably the most talented of all of them. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, the band, you know, they thought the song worked fine as a theme song, 
but they never, never, even even through the '90s when they, when they had their kind of their their resurgence because MTV started showing old episodes of the, of the Monkees, they have never and never will perform the theme song in public. It was not released as a single in America. It was released as a single overseas and yes. did very well, but yeah. not in America. Yeah, now they they will they will not. Uh, the only two that remain are Nesmith and Dolan's. Uh, because both Torque and, and Jones now have, have passed. But even today, I mean, whether they're performing together or individually in any context, they will not play that theme song. Well, so. see, now now I remember, because I've talked about my parents' record collection, and, and that album, the original Monkees release, was in that collection. And so I listened to quite a bit. And now I'm a little disappointed because I'm remembering a song on there. There was just a throwaway track that I loved. It was a Mike Nesmith track called I, I Want to Buy Me a Dog. And I, I could have oh, yeah, I I included that on the Animals episode. And oh, now yeah. I, I totally forgot about that I song. Even, I didn't even think about that at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was an awful song, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is it my turn here? It is. Okay, so I'm, that actually was my next choice was the monkey. So. Oh, um, okay, so this one, um, it's technically prime time. Okay. But it is a cartoon. Okay. It is the Flintstones. Oh, so now I can't use it on my animation list. No, because you said prime time was fair game. Well, no, it is. It is. Yeah. No, so, absolutely. So, yeah, I stole one from your animation uh, list. It aired between 1960 and 66 on ABC, again, written and developed by Hanna-Barbera. Um, the melody, actually, this is a, something new that I learned this week, is derived from the B section of Beethoven's Piano Sonata Number no. 17, Movement Number no. 2. Is that right? Which I meant to go back and actually listen to that to see <laughs> how close the melody. But yeah, that's the credit of the song is basically just lifted that melody. Hmm, and then the, that. the Randy Van Horn singers sing to that <laughs> melody with, with the lyrics. Um, fun fact, this was the very first cartoon to ever run on primetime television. Yes. And was the most successful primetime cartoon until The Simpsons. The Simpsons, yeah. Fair game. I said prime time. No, I'm, I'm I'm saving all animation for uh, my my animation picks for our, our third part to the series. But now, do you have The Simpsons coming too? Well, The Simpsons on a technicality. We can talk about that because there is one line that's sung, but right. the rest is instrumental. Right, but because. But of then the, I have another version on here where there's only one word that's sung repeatedly, but at least it's sung throughout the song. So I included that song for this one. I, know, I was planning on yep. using The Simpsons for the next one, but maybe I'll just. Save it for the cartoon, and then we'll have a match, and someone will have to pick. Fair an enough. Alternate. Either way, the Simpsons will make an appearance on okay. one of our well, the, TV theme episodes. Yes. Well, the Flintstones are now off limits for animation. So, Sorry. Um, but now, what an iconic! Show. It was the Honeymooners. The, the Flintstones it was. were the In Honeymooners. In fact, Jackie Gleason almost sued them. Yeah. For it. Uh, and Alan Hale, um, who was the skipper on Gilligan's Island, mm-hmm. he was uh, the voice of Fred. Right. Um, I'm, and Betty, Betty was you know definitely the hotter. And wise. Barney's two voices because for some reason <laughs> right. Mel Blanc, after a car accident, decided to change. Yeah, he had like he voices him one way completely, very Art Carney like. He has a car accident. The actual the rest of the crew actually set up like a mock studio in the hospital 
So I don't know if he hit on the head or he, but he just all of a sudden changed <laughs> yeah. Barney's voice in the he middle did. of the series. No, I, the series was, I mean, I, it will live on forever. I mean, Hanna-Barbera, that was in the golden age of Hanna-Barbera because in the, in the 80s, a little bit in the 70s, but in the 80s, Hanna-Barbera got very lazy and they, they just followed the same formula with, with every new Saturday morning cartoon. But um, yeah, the Flintstones, I mean, that was an era where, you know, the animation, it was just stellar. Um, well, the early seasons were in black and white. Yes, they were. And like a lot of shows at the time, they would do promotional tie-ins with the characters at the end. So right. it wasn't uncommon to see Betty and Fred lighting up cigarettes because right. Winston, yeah. Winston was one of the main sponsors of the show. Yes, it was. Because it wasn't a kid's show. No. It became a kid's show, eventually evolved into that. But originally it was a honey, like you say, a honeymooners type sitcom. It was, yeah. But it was animated. And, and you know, Hanna-Barbera always had an affinity for man's best friend. There are dogs in very nearly every Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Dino... Um, arguably may have been one of the very first. And, and, you know, I just love the idea that they had a pet dinosaur running around with their daughter, Pebbles. So It was actually critically panned quite a bit originally. Was it? Oh, yeah. Critics hated it. They thought it was just a big waste of television. In fact, a lot of them used it as an example of how television was just rotting the minds of, of America. I actually think, looking back and watching it, you know, in reruns, that it was actually very clever with yeah a lot well of, of course everything's yeah. into with perspective um, but, but well until you get to the great kazoo i mean they could have left but imagine they could have left like the 1960 alien. right this is yeah. pre pre beach boys pre beatles true yeah um very very conservative yeah and but eventually i mean you know the rock and roll of of, of that era it started to come into the flintstones sure. I, me- I remember episodes where they they had like featured guest stars and bands and, and the like um but yeah, I I loved it until the Great. I never understood the Great Kazoo. I don't know why you needed an alien encounter well, in the Stone Age. So many shows. Once you get later to later um, seasons, you need something to keep it fresh. You do. Whether it be Cousin Oliver, or Leo <laughs> DiCaprio's character in, in uh, Growing Pains. Yeah. Uh, or in this case, Kazoo. It just seems like even even Scrappy. I felt like Scrappy do. Oh, Scrappy is yeah. Was a way to try to keep that. And, and usually, what happens is it ends up just signaling the end of the series right. when you have to resort to that. Well, Scrappy is probably the most polarizing cartoon character right. in history. And, right. Um, but he wasn't actually on Where Are You, Scooby Doo. No, he correct. came later. Correct. And, you know. Um, but we'll, we'll save that discussion for another day. Yes, yes, we will. All right, my next pick is from WKRP in Cincinnati. We have a match. Um, That's the one I was talking about, song licensing. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, um, it, it was a TV show, of course, about the radio station, but it, it unlike the glorified versions of radio stations that you see commonly portrayed on movies and TV shows, this one was uh, really, from what, from what I've heard and from what I've read, it was pretty realistic, believe it or not, uh, with, the, with the eccentric DJs and the clueless general manager and the unkempt engineer, um, Bucky. Um, the theme song was written by composer Tom Wells, and the lyrics uh, by creator Hugh Wilson. Uh, orchestrations were added by Jim Ellis, and it was sung by Steve Carlyle. Um, and they released it as a single, but did not hit the top forty. Correct. Yeah, the, the song tells of the the transient life of a radio professional moving from market to market in search of a better gig, unable to settle down, and it's a very it's actually a very melancholy tune. Um, that you know could relate to a few different characters on the show the singer's telling his girl that he he once again is moving on maybe they were never meant to be and he'll be in cincinnati for the time being all he can hope is that she'll think of him once in a while steve carlisle actually hails from akron ohio so he's kind of in our our backyard he recorded the full-length version of the song and he and his producers they actually made a 
whole bunch of customized versions for different radio stations around the country. So they they replaced the ending line, uh, I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati, with the call letters and city of, of, you know, a number of radio stations. For instance, uh, there was a version that said, I'm at WGAR in Cleveland. Um, and, it doesn't have the same ring to it. It doesn't, no. But but they, they put these custom versions on cassette tapes and sent them to the various radio stations, many of which actually played them on the air. And it... It was time-consuming, but it, it was kind of an effective marketing. You know, they, they gave the song a big push. The single that was released, it peaked at number 65, so it's not really a top 40 hit by, by any stretch. But it is just a song that, I mean, when you hear it, especially in its entirety, it's 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 like Welcome Back uh, by John Sebastian, which we, right. which we had uh, for the Back to School episode. It's just one of those songs, it's, it's an airworm, it gets in your head, and the song 100% identifies... The TV show. I mean, it's one of those that the theme song is just perfect for what yep. for what the show. And I always about. wanted to be Doctor Johnny Fever. I mean, that may be one of the reasons why I ended up being a DJ yeah. in college was because Doctor Johnny Fever was oh. so cool. Just a quick note about the music licenses. So they they premiered a lot of original, original, but like music of the time in the yeah. show. I mean, they were a radio station. You expect that, like uh, Blondie's Heart of Glass. I mean, mm-hmm. it was huge. Yeah, which I would imagine would have helped those singles also sell. And so, but the, the only reason they were able to afford to do that was a loophole, because some most sitcoms, of course, up to up to probably this era, were filmed. But then, I shouldn't say that a lot were videotaped. Yeah. Because videotape was around a lot longer, but it seemed like the classier ones were filmed, and so was that always that big. Like in more recent terms, you know, you have Roseanne, which was videotaped, yeah. and Friends, which was not. So if you, if you kind of in your mind compare those two, you can kind of see the difference. And Friends just has a little more of a refined feel to it. Well, they were going to film WKRP in Cincinnati, but they found out that there was a loophole in music licensing that said if your production was videotaped. It was a much reduced cost to pay for those licenses. Really? So they chose to videotape it instead of film it so they could include those songs. Huh. I, now, the, the actual show itself didn't do very well in prime time. No, it didn't. But um, in, in syndication, the, like the first round of syndication, it was hugely popular. Oh, very. Um, but there was another loophole that allowed them to continue using those songs because it was so close to the time that they it actually aired. But then by the time Nick and Knight uh, Nick and Knight started to feature all of these right. uh, older shows in the 90s and so forth. Then the whole license thing fell apart. And so they had to go back and painstakingly re-record sound-alike songs and overdub them over the actual master recordings of the show. So, hmm. yeah. I mean, copyright law just, I mean, to me it's... And again, that's my point. Like, you would think Nick and Knight could make a deal with these licensing companies and say, let us keep the original... Heart of Glass from Blondie because people are going to hear that song and they're going to want to go back and buy it or find it on a streaming service. You would think. Right. But uh, that wasn't the case. They couldn't afford those rights. Well, this was the show that that, uh, it's WKRP that taught me that turkeys don't fly. So, you know, that very, uh, the Thanksgiving episode (laughs) is just fantastic. It is. It is. 
All right. right. To my pick now. Well, you alluded to it earlier. It's the song that I said technically qualifies because it's instrumental. Ah. But there's a refrain yep. where a, a harmonized group of singers say the title several points throughout the song. Yes. And of course, I'm referring to the 1960s Batman. Batman, yeah. Yes, yeah. and that came out in 1966, ran pretty short run, ran to 1968, also on ABC, starring Adam West and Burt Ward, of course. Uh, the song was written by Neil uh, Hefty, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And what I love about it, it's a three-chord, 12-bars blues, surf-style guitar hook composition. That's all it is. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's, it's, it's very simple. Yeah. And like I say, technically his lyrics is the refrain, Batman is sung uh, throughout the song. Uh, it's been covered by tons of artists. Oh, it has, yes. Including The Who, actually, has a version of the Batman theme. The Kinks and The Jam. So we're not talking like little indie bands here. We're talking some of the greats covered the Batman theme song. Fun fact for this one, it was the first sitcom not to use a laugh track. Was it really? Like today, that's kind of in vogue with The Office and Parks and Rec. Right. Um, actually, laugh tracks are really feel dated today. They do. But yeah. back then, they just felt it didn't fit with the, of course, a lot of it was, I don't believe it was even filmed on, some of it, I'm sure, was filmed on, on Sound Studio, but a lot of it was filmed on location. Yes. And so, it, I, I guess maybe because... Did people really think that when it was filmed before a live audience that they weren't using laugh tracks and maybe they felt that the audience would know when they were filming on location that there can't be an audience there, so they just decided not to even try and trick the audience? I don't know. That probably had to be what it was. I, I'm sure that I, it makes sense. Because yeah. it's true. When I was a kid, I didn't know it was a laugh track. I oh, just assumed. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, folks. A lot of them were filmed before a live audience, but they, they would supplement the crowd laughter and reaction with the canned tracks on yeah. top of that now i mean earlier shows uh, like all in the family the the laughter you hear that is an example where it's genuine yes. laughter come from the audience that, right. that was not a laugh track right because it was always filmed live before a studio audience but yeah the laugh track i mean, and and one of my favorite sitcoms of just the last you know 10 years I, it it the laugh track drives me nuts i, I you know if they would Seinfeld? no I, that's 20 years removed. No. Oh, big, 10 years. He's yeah, okay. Big, big Bang. I love... Oh, I can't stand that. Oh, I love the Big Bang Theory. But if they would remove that I shouldn't that say I can't track, stand it. I didn't really give it a chance, but... Yeah, if you remove the laugh track, that would have made... It would have been so much incredibly better. Um, but, yeah, but you're right. I mean, Modern Family and uh, The Office, I, uh, increasingly, the laugh track has just died, which right. is, you know, a relief. So, all right. Well... If we learned one thing from 1970s television, it's this. Once you move into a deluxe apartment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan... Gosh darn it, that's a match. Yeah, you no longer fry fish in the kitchen, and you no longer grill beans. Um, yes, so, I'm, I'm now deleting that from my list. Yeah. Um, 
Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's, I'm I glad knew, you picked I, it. I knew we'd have matches. I mean, there was no doubt. Yeah, four decades later, moving on up, I mean, it remains one of the few TV themes that just about every American knows and can sing. I mean, anyway, without question. Um, the woman who bettered it out, you know, the original version, she was actually a television star um, from, from another Norman Lear show. She wasn't actually a part of the Jeffersons cast. She actually was in Good Times. Good Times, right, right. And that's Janet... Uh, Jeanette Du Bois. Du Bois, yeah. yeah. And uh, she was actually backed by a 35-member gospel choir uh, for the, the theme. Um, but yeah, she was she was a regular on Good Times, and which itself was a spinoff of Mod that was created by Mike Evans, who played Lionel, the son on the Jeffersons. This is the, the Norman Lear. Yeah, universe. Norman Lear. I mean, it's incestuous. I mean, but but all of, I mean, the man was just he could do no wrong. I right. mean, everything he touched turned to gold, and it was spinoff after spinoff after spinoff. Uh, the Jeffersons itself, of course, a spinoff of All in the Family. Um, but yeah, it just goes to show what a big family the Norman Lear sitcom universe really was. And Jeanette Du Bois actually co-wrote the song. Yes. Well, we're moving on. She um, she was getting tired of, of uh, just being just her role on right. Good Times. Yep. And she she approached Norman Lear and she said, you know, hey, I'm I want to branch out and do new things. And he she said, I you know I want to try uh, singing. I, I you know I'd really love to have a, a musical uh, start a, a career. And he was the one that actually said, well, I'm, I'm working on a new show. Why don't you? write the, the theme song, which she, she did. And she actually put out an album. Um, there is an extended version of this song on that album, but I, I tried everywhere. I even tried YouTube. I could not find the extended hmm. release of, the, of Move It On Up. It's out there somewhere. I mean, the album exists, but I, I could not find it because um, I really wanted to hear the, the full length. I'd, I've never heard you know an extended version of the, the theme. But um, no, and I, Jefferson's... It is, I mean, it's never been ranked one of the most recognized or the most loved, but it's always made top 10. And for me, I would say Good Times is a close second. I didn't include Good Times uh, on my list this, you know, for, for this show, this episode. But um, Jefferson's and Good Times, I tell you what, those are two that they definitely make my top five. I mean, it's just moving on up. It's just, it is a soulful, gospel-infused, just, it, it's, it's, Phenomenal. The show was the first to feature what? Interracial couple. Correct. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. It's just Tom and Helen Willis. Yeah. It was also the the uh, first show to to have a an African American uh, win the Emmy for best best lead uh, on a on a television show, and that was Isabel Sanford who played Wheezy. Uh, it set a lot of records, but I mean, it also all in the family 
obviously dealt with sociopolitical issues in a, in a way that was very foreign to television. It opened up all kinds of doors. But the Jefferson, and, and on the family dealt with racial issues without question because the Jeffersons lived next door. But the Jeffersons, I mean, they really, I think, brought America to, to better understand the plight of the African-American community. It was just, you know, it was so central to the, the theme of the show itself. So yeah. that was fantastic. And you just mentioned Sanford, which reminds me of Sanford and Son, which is another favorite show that I can't that, use today. That will, if I were to rank my instrumentals, that would be number one. <laughs> right, love that, that would, So yeah, it will make an We're going to have a lot of matches next time we do yes, this Yes, we will. Okay, your turn. All righty then. Um, Happy Days. Ah, match. Happy Days, 1974. Another one that went until 1984. I can't believe it went that late. Yep. It was also an ABC. Starring Ron Howard, Henry Winkler, Marianne Ross, Tom Bosley, among many other people, of course, that I'm not going to name because we don't have the time. <laughs> Written by Norman uh, Gimbel and Charles Fox. It actually played as the closing credits for yes, the first two seasons because Bill Haley and his comments, Rock Around the Clock, was the original theme song. Yes. Um, so on that technicality, we wouldn't have included this if we would have only featured the Rock first the two clock, seasons, yeah. but exactly. because it took over season three. Well, no no one even remembers Rock Around the Clock as its theme song. So Although I, I do remember on syndication well, watching yeah, it I as remember. a kid and thinking, right. why is the theme song different? Well, at that time, they had you know there were three kids. They had older brother Chuck, who just Chuck, magically right. disappeared. Right. Too, so. uh, the version was performed by uh, Pratt McLean, a one-hit wonder duo that actually took the song to number five on Billboard yes. in 1976. And uh, fun fact, and I guess I kind of, I mean, I always knew there was a relationship between Happy Days and American Graffiti. Mm -hmm. What I did not know is that Happy Days came first. Yeah, it was actually filmed as a pilot on uh, Love American Style, I think. It it was a pilot episode. It it failed. Uh, Nobody picked it up. And then Lucas, George Lucas, for some reason, was able to watch the pilot and liked Ron Howard's performance. And so he cast him in his film, American Graffiti. And then American Graffiti, of course, was successful. So then uh, ABC decided to pick up the pilot of yeah. Happy Days. Yeah, they pulled it out of the can. Cindy Williams was the girlfriend of American Graffiti. So Correct. that's how she that helped her get that spot. She, she got her foot in the door with Happy Days and, of course, went on to Laverne and Shirley. It's spinoff. Um, can you imagine if Harrison Ford would have uh, done the Fonz? <laughs> no, no, I cannot see. I, I'm glad he stuck with Indiana Jones and Han Solo. Let's, um, yeah, that would have been a mistake. Harrison Ford is the Fonz. Sky, hello blue. There's nothing can hold me when I hold you. Feels so right, it can't be wrong. Rocking and rolling all week long. Speaking of the Fonz, I mean, his leather jacket is in the Smithsonian Museum of American History, but so too. Is and this is just a fun fact. Um, so too is the original 45 RPM single of the Happy Days theme. Um, in the opening credits, a jukebox. You see the jukebox load a record, and when the needle drops, the song starts playing, and that of course is the Happy Days theme. But that record that they show, it it was pressed specifically. It's it was just a one one off. It was pressed specifically for the show open. And if you look real carefully, you can see that it says Happy Days, music by Charles Fox, lyrics by Norman Gimbel. 
So that 45, the only one that was made uh, for that for that opening uh, to the show, it actually shares um, space with Fonzie's leather jacket from I, the show. I've been to the Smithsonian. Uh, I'm assuming you're at the Museum of American History. Right. Several times, and I have not. Uh, it hasn't been featured when I've been there. Okay. I, yeah. Well, I know they were they revolve their right. their exhibits, but um, yeah. No, it, it's. They have it, and I, I know that they've... One time I saw it displayed, another time I did not, because we, like you, I mean, I've, I've take I've chaperoned the New York, or the Washington, D.C. trip with our students many times, but yeah, no, it, it is now owned by the Smithsonian and part of their collection. I heard that they're actually creating a music wing. Is that true? I don't know if I haven't that's heard true. that, but... Um, I thought I read that somewhere, but uh, nonetheless, yeah, happy days. Okay, well... That was my actual, that, that was actually my very next pick. So let's go again. I, it's going to be a lot of uh, alternates now coming, guys. I am going to go with a song from the Showtime series Weeds, and that would be Little Boxes by Malvina Reynolds. Um, this is an example. This song was actually recorded in 1962. Um, it was never released, and unless you are a diehard fan of early folk, music and we're, we're talking pre-Dylan this is not a song you would know so I, I thought it was fair game um, Little Boxes it's a song by Mavina Reynolds from 62 as I said it lampoons the development of suburbia and what many consider as a, its bourgeois conformist values um, you know written decades before the show the song never released and you know it was largely unknown until it was used as the opening music of the Showtime original series Weeds uh, for the first three seasons of, of the series anyway. And it actually was released after Weeds, and that's when it kind of charted, uh, at least modestly. Little boxes on the hillside. Little boxes made of ticky-tacky. Little boxes on the hillside. Little boxes all the same. There's a green one and a pink one. And a blue one and a yellow one And they're all made out of ticky-tacky And they all look just the same And the people in the houses All went to the university Where they were put in boxes And they came out all the same And there's doctors and lawyers And business executives And they're all made out of ticky-tacky And the song was used only for the first three seasons, and then one final time during season four. Uh, the change was due to the fact that the Botwins, if you if you know the show, uh, they no longer lived in in their gated community after season three, but rather they they lived in a neighborhood corrupted by drugs. So the song, um, you know, it was. Thanks for spoiling it. Well, I didn't spoil anything. <laughs> Trust me. I'm, I'm a bra- I'm, I'm, I've heard that it's just Breaking Bad. I mean, I know it came before Breaking Bad. Well, but that it's Breaking con- Bad just did it better. Yeah. Well, they're very, 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 very similar in structure, but it's 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 different enough that I mean, okay. While you can draw the comparison, I mean, for one thing, Weeds had had it was far more humorous. I mean, okay. it, the, the the dialogue is is far more witty, and uh, the twists and the turns. I mean, they're not as suspense driven as Breaking gotcha. Bad. Gotcha. Um, but you know it. it it has its fair share. You would really enjoy it. Okay. You really would. Um, but the um, the one time it was used in season four, though, um, that same episode uh, featured character Shane uh, asking his mother, Nancy, why he still has to go to school. And her reply was that 
he could someday be a doctor or a lawyer or a business executive, which is actually, it quotes the lyrical line from the song. It was kind of in tribute to the last time they would use it. Um, after season one, they, they pulled a number of different artists to, to record a version of Little Box. So every episode featured a different artist. Regina Spector was one of them, and that's how she was then chosen to uh, write the theme song to, to Orange is the New Black. So every season or every episode? Every episode. Because uh, The Wire, every season, they had a right. different artist. Yeah, so. no. Uh, Malvina Reynolds' original was the, the opening theme to season one, and then season two and three Every week it was a different artist oh, cool. performing a cover cool. of the song. So, Very good. All right. All right. Well, my next uh, choice, uh, I would be surprised if you didn't have it, but maybe you don't because you've been, you've been choosing some more recent t- titles. I didn't choose anything after the I, 80s, I, I don't think. I tried to mix it up. Um, anyway, this one is it's just a, it's a feminist icon, or she's a feminist icon. Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore. Moore. And this song is just a great song. It is on my alternate list. I mean, a lot of these songs are good songs or fun songs or, you know, they remind you of the show, but this is just a great song. Yeah. Sonny Curtis. I'm referring to Love Is All Around that was written and performed by Sonny Curtis. Um, starred, the show itself ran from 1970 to 1977 on CBS. Starred Mary Tyler Moore, Ed Asner, Valerie Harper, Ted Knight. Of course, there were spinoffs uh, with those characters as well. Um, fun fact on this one is that it has been uh, re, it has been covered by a whole host of artists like Sammy Davis Jr., Ray Conniff, Joan Jett, and Husker Du. Joan Jett and Husker Du? I knew about the Joan Jett version because I have that on uh, on her Greatest Hits album. But uh, huh. the Husker Du one, I had to look up. That show, um, it, it made my alternate list. My wife was very angry. I wouldn't say angry. She was very disappointed in me that it didn't make my top 15. Um, I promised her that I would include it when I had an alternate pick, so now I don't have to, so thank you for that. Um, no, I, I. she was also surprised when I told her this. I've never seen an episode of the Mary Tyler Moore show. Really? I've never seen an episode. I told her that because that's why I didn't make my top 15 initially, and she, her jaw dropped. I mean, you would have thought that I just... Confess to some You're just a misogynist crime. and a male yeah, chauvinist. Yeah, That's so. why, Alan. No, I just, I've never seen an episode of Mary Tyler Moore, and I love everyone in the cast. I mean, every one of them, Ted Knight and, and Ed Asner, I, I, you know, I just, I've never seen it. It's, it's so, it's, I'm going to have to give it a try. I was late, I, I've come late to a number of very popular series in my life, I mean, even The Office. I came to that far later than most people. Um, and, and of course, love it, like everyone told me I would, uh, you know. But, yeah, Mary Tyler Moore I've never seen, although, of course, I saw her in the Dick Van Dyke show, uh, you know, in the 60s, probably every episode of that in syndication. But, yeah, no, so love is all around. I don't have to include it. And, obviously, it, it should and it did make our list. So, great choice. All right, well, I already said it was coming, and that would be the theme to the Big Bang Theory. 
um, which is by Bare Naked you Ladies. You got it right, folks. He Bare finally Naked got ladies. it right. Uh, it's called The History of Everything. Um, and, it, you know, it begins with that very famous line, our whole universe was in a hot, dense state. Then nearly 14 billion years ago, expansion started. Wait. And then, you know, just it just flies from there. Um, it's written and performed by Bare Naked Ladies. You're not going to catch me again. Uh, so, um, you know, the title theme, uh, it's the long-running CBS sitcom, right, about the two geeky physicists who invite the hot girl across the hall to join their socially awkward circle of friends. Everyone knows Big Bang, whether you watch it or not. I don't really. Well, you at least know the premise, though, don't you? Mm, I just know that they're supposed like like scientists, and they live in an apartment. Yeah, they're physicists. They right. live in an apartment. Um, it's about them, but it, it is it is really just pop culture infused. Um, there's there's one episode I would strongly recommend you watch. Actually, two. There's one where they break into the Skywalker Ranch, that is hilarious. And then there's also an episode where they finally convince their girlfriends to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the girlfriends bring up this this theory and it, well, it's not even theory they just point out that uh, you know Indiana Jones is totally irrelevant to the plot of that film hmm. and they get all into an uproar and they start saying well how about this and how about that and every every example they give and it's it's kind of true it kind of blew me away every example they give in fact if if he had not been there the story still would have ended the, the exact same way it, it's it's really it's it's a fun episode so I, there are episodes you would enjoy um but, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the song, it, it's a rapid-fire history lesson about the creation of the universe that all started with a Big Bang. Our whole universe was in a hot, dense state that nearly 14 million years ago expansion started waiting. The Earth began to cool, the autotrophs began to drool, Neanderthals developed tools, we built a wall. We built the pyramids, math, science, history, unraveling the mystery. Originally, this is fun, though, I and mean, this is a bit of trivia I have to share because it's just, uh, it's like... One of those examples where something was just clearly meant to be. Originally, Big Bang, uh, the producers, Chuck Lorre and Bill Prady, they were going to go with the song She Blinded Me With Science hmm. by Thomas Dolby as its theme song. But the two of them were huge Bare Naked Ladies fans. And one night, they went to a Bare Naked Ladies concert, and the band uh, that night uh, was playing a gig at, at the Universal Amphitheater in Los Angeles. So just before the show... Co-lead singer Ed Robertson had just finished reading a book uh, by physicist Simon Singe. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Sing, Sing Singe. I'm not. I'm not sure. Should have looked that up. But um, he had just finished reading a book that was titled "The Big Bang," which basically explained the origins of the universe. So Robertson uh, decided to include a song that night about cosmology into the improv portion of their show. And you know, Laurie and Pretty were in the audience. And they were just blown away just from the improvisational song about the Big Bang and the, the evolutionary uh, line. So immediately after, the two producers, you know, begged Bare Naked Ladies to write a, a fun theme song for the show. And um, they agreed to do it. So She Blinded Me With Science was out. So literally, I mean, everything just, that, that's fate. I mean, they were there. They heard a song about the Big Bang from their favorite band. You know, it just... It was, again, it was just clearly meant to be. But I'm, I'm sure the show is good. I think you mentioned the laugh track earlier. That's probably the reason, the, yes. pre the prejudice I've had of the show. Uh, after after The Office and Parks and Rec, I, right. I just have a difficult time going that, back. It's hard enough with like Seinfeld, although I can pretty much ignore it in Seinfeld. Yeah. But it's difficult with some yeah. of the newer shows. Big Bang, I mean, it, it, it's very 
it's very evident. It's very grating. Um, but if you can look past it, it is some of the wittiest, some of the some of the funniest, uh, just dialogue. One of the funniest shows uh, of the last ten years, without without yeah. question. Yeah. So, right. and it's definitely made every every one of them a huge. Well, uh, Pat Alecki, he he was already famous. He was actually the boyfriend um, from Roseanne. Um, well. But, um, well, he was also in Christmas Vacation. Yes, yes, right. he was. Um, but, you know, Jim Parsons, certainly, and Kaylee Cuoco, I mean, these are, you know, they are now A-listers, and, you know, that show just brought yeah. them right yeah. into the fold. So, All right, that leaves me with another one here, which I would expect maybe to have on your list. That's Different Strokes? It's on my alternates. Not yes. Different Strokes, but Different Diff- Strokes. Diff- apostrophe you got to have the apostrophe, yes. which I... Phonetically, it's pretty much exactly the same. It really so is. So why take the time <laughs> and put, I don't, whatever. It came out in 1978 and ran through, again, 1985. I can't believe it went oh, that yeah. long uh, on NBC this time. Stars uh, Gary Coleman, Todd Bridges, Dana Plato, and Conrad Bain. Uh, the song was written and performed by Helen Alan Thicke. Thicke, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, Mr. Seaver. Yeah, Today I learned Pins. that Alan Thicke wrote, co-wrote with his wife, Gloria Loring, and uh, composer Al Burton. Uh, they, in another theme that may come up on the list. It may come so up. So I'm going to hold off for now. Yes. But yes, uh, Alan Thicke, not only did he co-write this song, he sings it. Yes. And I didn't believe that. So I went back this week and I listened to, and it's Alan Thicke singing. Yes. It's like a Mandela effect thing. Oh, yeah. He, he wrote a number yes, he of did. TV he themes. Did. Over, over 20 TV themes. Um, and, and as well as not just sitcoms, I mean, he wrote the theme music to, he wrote the original Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, a lot of theme, game shows, yep. Uh, Joker's Wild. Yep, yeah. yep. Um, yeah, I always found it funny, though. You know what theme song he did not write and Growing sang pains. was Growing Pains. He did pains. not write Growing yes, Pains. Yes, he did not write his own, that. but he wrote everybody right. else's. He did not write Blurred Lines either. That was his song. No, that would be, yeah. Yes. Thank uh, you, Robin Thicke. <laughs> yes. Now the world don't Now, my fun fact for this episode, uh, actually not really a fun fact. It's more like tragically ironic. Uh, they had a number of different, very special episodes. Yes, they did. And um, this one featured First Lady Nancy Reagan, who wow. appeared on the show to promote the Just Say No campaign. And the reason why, if you followed any of the pop culture with, connected to the show, unfor- unfortunately, Todd Bridges and uh, Dana Plato both uh, are examples of child actors that unfortunately did not acclimate very well to becoming adults and uh, got involved in a lot of bad things and substance abuse and so forth. And both of them passed away from from drug abuse um, causes. Yeah, with Dana Plato's story, I mean, a lot of that was very... I mean, Todd Bridges is as well, but Dana Plato, 
uh, a lot of that was thrust upon her right. and, and she just couldn't find work and yeah and she was when I said age appropriate crushes she was one of my first age appropriate crushes on television it, right. would, it would be her or Alyssa Milano really but yeah well not only the, the drug episode but there was also the very famous two parter uh, titled The Bicycle Man which hmm. which was I don't think I saw that didn't one. see that yeah uh, basically Arnold and his friend Dudley um, they basically meet uh and befriend Gordon Jump. Um, uh, he his character. Uh, he he played a bicycle shop owner, and he basically he was a child molester. So he Ooh. tried to uh, take advantage of the boys. He was a pedophile, and yeah, it 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 was huge. In fact, that actor, he said he really believed in the importance of that show to both for the you know to teach safety. Uh, to the, yeah, to the I mean, kids, but that. but he was blacklisted. People would not really? hire him for for any roles after having played the pedophile in the, in the uh. two-parter. Um, but yeah, that one was. I remember that. That well, was kind of like that. Different strokes, kind of like Batman in that way. They did try to teach kind of lessons to kids. They, yes, it was they very yeah. moralistic in in that sense. Either safety lessons or obviously this one. And and that's that's you know it's kind of creepy, but at the same time important lesson to probably oh definitely I'm not I'm definitely an important lesson that hopefully parents uh, always talk to their kids about but it can be very uncomfortable yes and sometimes parents don't know when the appropriate time or how old their children should be before they actually probably can't do it too soon but um, probably probably might have done a lot of good um, that particular episode oh, I, I'm not sure about the just say no campaign but <laughs> yeah um, no the, yeah all th- the kids from different stro- it, it's kind of like Poltergeist you know yeah, people yeah. say that Poltergeist was cursed and you know they look at the, the kids from the, the film but um, yeah in much the same way I mean the different strokes uh, cast uh, Gary Coleman's still with us, but even he had a number of issues. But yeah, Todd Bridges and Dana Plato definitely. I mean, tragic again to very promising this, actors. This show and another show I almost didn't include. Um, and, and this show is just so nostalgic for me. It was one of my favorites as a kid. Yes. I remember visiting my great aunt who was like 80 at the time, and she was asking me what I like to do. And of course, what did I say? Watch TV. <laughs> and she said, What's your favorite show? I said, Different Strokes. And she said, Oh, is it about swimming? <laughs> And then I tried to explain the concept to her, which didn't really go very well. But oh, the reason why, the reason why I didn't almost include this and my other pick that may be coming up here, it's a little bit of white savior complex kind of thing. It is. And I know back then it wasn't. Back then it was very progressive, the idea of, of a, a wealthy white man uh, with a daughter, single, um, I believe the, the wife dies, uh, adopting two African-American boys from Harlem. Yeah. It was a very progressive thing. But today it's kind of like To Kill a Mockingbird, to Kill Mockingbird is one of my favorite books of all time. Oh, Atticus Finch. But anytime Absolutely. I read it now, it's tainted a little bit by the white savior yes. thing. And I feel like... Agreed. I feel like, is it the best book to be teaching these... It's still a great book, but is it the best book to be teaching these issues when there are lots of African-American voices that can tell their own story yeah. as opposed to having to tell it through Atticus Finch? So it's kind of that feeling. I still included it. There's nothing wrong with the series, but I think we are a little bit more aware of some of these white savior type vehicles that became popular around this time and still continue to, to this day. Yeah, I agree. So you have another one coming up? Maybe. Oh, you didn't go with the cheap imitation of different strokes, did you? Webster? Is that what no, no, oh, no. Okay. Another show that, that today <laughs> okay. is not would not be politically correct for one politically correct. major reason that's been a huge issue this summer. We've already talked about it on the Have broadcast. We? We t- the show was mentioned early in the broadcast. Was it? Okay. 
I'm, yeah, drawing, I'm drawing a blank. There, right? Okay, yeah. all right. All right. Well, you said white savior, and I'm thinking immediately Webster, and I'm like, oh. No, 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 no. I'm no, like, no. I, nothing against Emmanuel Lewis, but it was, it was no, different. No, white savior thing just for this okay, show. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because, yeah. I, I admit I watched Webster from time to time, but it really was just different strokes, you know, 2.0, and it never achieved, you know, the glory of different strokes. Right, so. right. All right. Um, well, I am uh, down two alternates, um, and it looks like I have two left to pick. The question is, which ones do I go with? Because um, there are three or four that I really would love to include. I have room for two. Let's go with... Uh, uh, let's go with They Might Be Giants. I'm going to go with The Boss of Me from Malcolm in the Middle. Great one. Great one. Um yeah, I mean, it's just, oh, one, it, it's one of the best themes, without question, of, of the 2000s. Um, uh, you know, it, it was Malcolm in the Middle. It was a Fox Network comedy about a dysfunctional middle-class family whose middle child, Malcolm, had a genius IQ but wanted nothing more than to just be a normal kid. Um, it also launched the career of Brian Cranston, who then very famously and without question one of the greatest performances in television history went on to be Walter White, right, in, in Breaking Bad. But but the sitcom's theme song was, it was recorded by the quirky Brooklyn-based duo They Might Be Giants, and in 2002, Boss of Me became the first TV theme to ever win a Grammy for best song written for a movie or TV show. Um, the song's bratty attitude and, and just the punky stop-start beat, I mean, it perfectly propels a sentiment I think we can all relate to at various times in our life, which is just, you know, you're not the boss of me now and you're not so big. I mean, it's just, it's perfect for the show, and it's just, it's just a perfect song. Yes, no, maybe. For a long time, the full-length version of the song was really hard to come by, but it eventually showed up on the band's brilliant 2005 compilation, A User's Guide to They Might Be Giants. So I, I loved the show. I mean, I, I watched Malcolm in the Middle all the time, and I just, I, I, it was it was just fantastic. I mean, it was one of those shows that never ceased to make me laugh. So I saw them live way back in the beginning. I saw them in Peabody's probably 1988, 89. Mm. Yeah, it was a good and show. Was that... That was the Flood tour. I was going to say. That, the, their that, third that album. That would have been Flood, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Istanbul. Yes. Yep. All right. All right, yeah. That's a show that I need to revisit. I love Brian Cranston. I know it's a good show. I've seen a couple episodes. Oh, it's fantastic. I just haven't invested time into the entire series. Oh, you, you would love it. I mean, it is, it's, it is a show that was, in so many ways, uh, just ahead of its time. I mean, it treated, it really gave a, a voice, a genuine voice to the to the kids on the show. I mean, it made them it made them real people. I mean, they weren't just pawns to, to progress the story and to move forward. It was it was centered around the kids, of course. But yeah, the entire family dynamic, I mean, it's just, it, it was a hilarious show. So I think you'll really enjoy it. All right. So uh, my pick, is this my last pick? Last pick. Oh man, this isn't good. Yeah, I have many alternates left that I because thought I'd get to because I thought we'd have more matches. I have my politically incorrect <laughs> one. I have my one that Alan Thicke uh, also wrote. Uh, I have another great show that I thought of at the last minute this morning that I added. 
Mm. All right. All right. Since this is my last one, I'm going to quickly run through the ones that I'm not going to choose. Got it. Okay. So Fame was the one that I was referring to. Oh, okay. That was a lyric song that's based on the movie. So Irene Cara, who was in the movie, yes. performed Fame, and it was a hit. And then they made a TV show based on that. And Correct. the song was not, the TV theme was not sung by Irene Cara. So I don't know if that technically counts, but I'm not choosing it anyway. But it, but I love that song. It's a great TV yeah. theme. No, absolutely. Growing Pains was one that I actually had at the bottom of the list. Okay. I, I loved the show as a kid. Uh, Alan Thicke, like you already mentioned, in the show, did not write the theme for that one. Correct. Alice is the one that I thought of this morning. Oh, such a great show. It's such a great so, a show, such a great yep. song. Uh, and actually... Uh, Mel's Diner and Flo and Vera. Linda yeah. Lavin, who actually stars, actually sings the theme, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so check that one out. You know, it's based on a Scorsese film in 74 called Alice Doesn't Leave Her Anymore. Um, and of course, the sitcom kind of had a life of its own. But uh, Facts of Life was the other one that Alan Thicke wrote. Yeah. The song to, he co-wrote with his wife and the other composer. Yeah, his wife uh, sang the the theme herself on that one correct well, beginning with season two yeah right right and then uh the my politically incorrect one i'm gonna go with dukes of hazard yep it was on my alternates list so i'm gonna go with it anyway because the the show itself in its time uh, i wouldn't say is problematic the problematic from what i remember it's been a long time since i've watched the show but the problematic nature of the show of course is the car that they drive the general lee because the general lee has the confederate flag on the top of the car and of course uh, this summer we've had a lot of discussions in the media and amongst social media and amongst friends and i'm sure we've had our debates and discussions about what to do with that symbol and what that symbol uh, actually stands for and of course we're not going to go into that now but it, it it makes it a little bit problematic for me because it's no secret I kind of fall on the the side of it uh, not being the greatest symbol. Uh, understanding completely how it's an offensive symbol to a large segment of our population, and understanding that if it's a symbol that is problematic and is um, harmful to a segment of our population, it's probably not something that we should have a part of our our pop culture. Um, so wasn't right to use it at the time. Um, wasn't an issue at the time. And like I say, the show itself, if I remember it correctly, the characters themselves and, and the plots weren't in any way discriminatory. Not really, no. So I'm okay <clears throat> with, with keeping this one in. It was one of my favorite. And I think every single boy, at least, I'm sure some girls liked it too. I don't try to be sexist here. But the only people I knew who liked it in school were the boys, and every boy liked Dukes of Hazard. Oh, yeah. And it was a Friday night special. I mean, I got to I got to stay up later on Friday night. I got to get my pillow and my blankets, and, and usually we'd order pizza. My parents would order me pizza, and that was like I looked forward to Friday Night Dukes of Hazard more than any other TV event in my life. Just a good old boy, never meaning no harm. All you never saw Been in trouble with the law Since the day they was born Straightening the curves Flattening the hills Someday the mountain might get them But the law never will Making their way The only way they know how That's just a little bit more Than the law will allow it was on my alternates list. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I'm not, like you said, there's no denying 
you know, the, the racially charged uh, accusations that are thrown against it for the, the various symbols used on the show. But, I mean, Bo and Luke Duke, they, they nurtured the imagination of every, you know, every boy, you know, growing growing up in the 80s. And, I mean, we can thank the show for Daisy Dukes that have yeah. long out, Which outlasted. Which, again, at know. the time, <laughs> Catherine Bach was not on my radar in that way. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I'm not even a car guy, you know, but just, boy, the car chases and... The, the way that they would have to jump in because the doors were welded shut, you know, and they'd have to jump across the hood. And it actually came out in 79. Another one that ran till, till 85. I, di- I know I didn't watch it through 85, although I do remember when they had to substitute the cousins. Coy and Vance, yeah. Because oh, there yeah. was a dispute, a uh, contract dispute. So briefly, um, the Tom Wopat and John Snyder took a leave of absence from the show and then came back. Right. Re- well, ratings tanked when they left, too. Right. Um, but the song itself, I guess, is what we're here to talk about, was uh, written and performed by Waylon Jennings, who is a country legend, of course. I had the 45. Here's another TV theme that I owned on, on 45. Yeah, good old boys. Um, it went number one, to number one on the country charts, went to number 21 on the Billboard Hot 100. And this is a fun fact here. He was also the narrator on the show. Yep, he was the balladeer. Yeah, he, he you know always provided playful commentary on the, on the plot before the Boy, commercial breaks. Boy, those boys get them in this time. <laughs> Actually, you know, it's kind of funny, too, because, um, you know, on the show, they only ever just showed him, you know, his hands playing playing the guitar. So when he extended the song uh, for the single release, his third verse actually playfully comments on the fact that his role on the show was pretty much limited to off screen. Because he actually wrote, the, the verse on the extended cut goes, you know, my mama loves me, but she don't understand they keep a show in my hands and not my face on TV. It was right. actually the third, right, third, right, right. third verse. Um, he did make a physical appearance in the final season of the show, though, due to popular demand from fans. Um, no, it was it was definitely um, on my alternates list, and I kind of resolved I was going to choose that one, but now I don't have to. You so, don't have to. And, yeah. and none of my alternates matched <clears throat> yours. Uh one of your alternates matched mine. Okay. Um, Facts, of, Facts life? of Life. Facts of Life. Yeah, Facts of Life is one of my alternates. Um, the alternates that I have left, I have The Fall Guy. Uh, I have Things We Do in the Shadows, which is a, a new show currently running on FX. It's another vampire show. It's hilarious if you've not seen it. I've not. Or if you've not seen the movie that it's based on. You, you Oh, Dave, you've got to watch at least the movie. But okay. the show is fantastic. Okay, I will do that. Um, I have Solid Gold, which, frankly, I don't know that there's any show that better defines Gen X than Solid Gold. I thought about Solid Gold. Yeah, I mean, just the, the idea of the, the lyrics, it's <coughs> just a refrain, though, like Batman, right? Is it? Or is no, there, there, no, there is. You're there, right. There's you're a right. full, full uh, theme. Yeah, Dion, I forgot Dion about Warwick that. Yeah. sang it originally. Um, yeah, you're right. But yeah, I mean, just, you know, it was American Bandstand and Soul Train, but it. You, Basically, but you know, with a countdown of the but they but the dancers would dance to the songs. Yeah, exactly. The dancers and the top ten or whatever. Yeah, and and they danced to everything because a lot of those songs in the top ten were not danceable. Right. right, (laughs) So and but and two, a lot of their choreographed you know moves. I mean, the dances had. Usually, very little to do with the songs, and you're kind of you know, hypersexualized. It, very again, went over my head as yeah. a child. I just was there for the music. Yeah. And the best part was they did all of these dances in four inch heels. You know? Yeah, <laughs> so, I remember Kiss was on. Yeah, oh yeah, Solid Gold. yeah, yeah. All, all the big artists would come, and they virtually all lip synced, of course. But um, no, Solid Gold. I had, I had all in the family, which I feel really that was an alternate of mine as well. I didn't really mention it, bad but. that I'm I'm not including it because I mean that was the show that forever changed TV. Yep. I mean it really 
that was the show that that really opened the door <clears throat> for television to explore themes of you know socio political you know unrest. Um, I had the Drew Carey show Moon Over Parma, mm-hmm. um, which is just a personal bias. We're from Northeast, which Ohio. was only the theme for a couple seasons because yeah, then season, they went to it was Cleveland. Just season one. That's yeah. why I didn't pick it because it, would you consider Cleveland Rocks or Moon Over Parma well, as its and in between theme song? in between you had Five O'clock World. Oh, that's true. So, yeah, that's true. Um, but no, I would have went Moon Over Parma and just as a Northeast Ohioan, I mean that theme, I, I loved it, and you know it did. Definitely, it's on the alternate. I had Frasier, which is very short, but it's Kelsey Grammer singing that jazzy, right? You know, uh, you know, scrambled eggs and tossed salad. I, I, I also had, um, well, I, I, as I said, I had Facts of Life, but I think the one I'm going to go with, my last alternate, um, just because it was a personal favorite of mine. I watched it religiously. Um, I'd ha- I have to go with Without Us from Family Ties. That um, was also, like I said, that and all in the family were like on my alternate, alternate list. Like, yeah. I didn't get around to adding them. I thought about it, but yeah, that yeah. Was, it was right there outside. I, family Ties, I mean, of all of the family sitcoms, that was the one that I, I just remember most fondly. Um, you know, it was created by Gary David Goldberg. It was set in suburban Columbus, mm-hmm. Ohio yep. uh, during the Reagan administration. It it reflected the move in the U.S. really from from the cultural liberalism of the '60s and '70s to the conservatism of the '80s. Well, it, it flopped all in the family. Yeah, it did. It, that's exactly what it did. Um, you know, the culture that that culture cultural change was particularly expressed, of course, through the relationship between young Republican Alex P. Keaton, uh, which you know launched Michael J. Fox to stardom, and his baby boomer, very liberal and former hippie parents, Stephen. Uh, at least it's Keaton. like if, if Meathead grew up and all the family and had his own family and his son was yes, uh, you know, exactly. a Republican. Yeah. Uh, you know, the show the show was originally sold to the network using the pitch Hip Parents Square Kids hmm. because Elise and Steven were intended to be the main characters. But the audience reacted so positively to Alex during the taping of the first season that he really became the focus of the show. Yeah. And, you know, Fox, I mean, he received the role after Matthew Broderick turned it down. Um much like he, he got the role for Back to the Future after Eric Stoltz just didn't... Didn't, didn't work out, didn't, yeah. Yeah, there was no chemistry. But the theme song, Without Us, um, you know, it was composed by Jeff Barry and Tom Scott in 1982, and during the first season, it was originally performed by Dennis Stefano and Mindy Sterling. But for the rest of the show's run, it was it was performed by Johnny Mathis and Denise Williams, and really, thanks to the, the smooth vocals from these two easy-listening easy faves, yeah... It, it did without us, shalalad. It's its way into the hearts of Sikkim lovers everywhere. I bet we've been together for a million years, and I bet we'll be together for a million more. Oh, it's like I started breathing. On the night we kissed And I can't remember What I ever did before What would we do, baby Without us What would we do, baby Without us And there ain't no nothing We can't love each other through It musically asked the question What would we do, baby, without us And you know, it made anyone with that within earshot know that there ain't nothing we can't love each other through. And, you know, it was the perfectly upbeat message that reflected the series 
warm and loving nature. So I always thought they should have added a different element to it that that the father should have run like a men's clothing store that specialized in different ties, and then it would have made then family <laughs> ties would have taken on a whole other. You have bow ties, I, they could traditional have. ties, it's, skinny yeah. ties. Sometimes the audience comes up with better ideas than the producers. So you're there, you go. You should have yeah. worked in um, menswear. But no, I mean, it, of the alternates I've left, I mean, I've watched. You know, these are all shows that I watched and loved. But yeah, family ties. I mean, that was just. Yeah, I loved it. Too. One of my favorites. So, there we go. Um, so, what what were your alternates? Just so I can write them down here. So again, that the alternates that I actually had prepared to, to speak about were Fame, okay, Growing Pains, got it, Alice, and the Facts of Life. Okay. Um, yeah, folks, we're going to do something different this week um, because we post our playlists on Spotify. Um, yeah, you know, if we had a different vehicle uh, to use, personally, I have very nearly every one of these theme songs, you know, as as digital MP3s um, in my collection. But coming from Spotify, what we found is Spotify does not have really any TV theme songs. Very few. I mean, um, I'd say maybe a quarter of these, maybe to, to a half. If you dig really hard, you can find yeah. some of the original, but so many of them are just the knockoff. Yeah, and they're very bad. Um, other artists. So what we're going to do, we're going to do something a little differently this week, and we'll, we'll post when the time comes a link um, on, our, on our website for you to hear the playlist as we normally would on Spotify. But we're actually going to put our playlist um on, on YouTube, and not only then will you be we'll, able to... We'll make a Gen X mixtape YouTube channel. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, not only will we... Not only will you be able to hear the opening uh, theme songs, but you'll be able to see the opening theme songs. I mean, we'll, we'll try our very best to find, you know, actual... The actual opening credits and, and montages that, that these songs would play uh, over while watching the show. So that would be... It's a bit different. <clears throat> of course, you can listen to YouTube as well. I mean, you don't have to watch YouTube. So, you know, in much the same way, like Spotify, granted there will be some ads, but you, the playlist will be there for you. But um, yeah, it's not going to be on Spotify this week. Um, but it's, I think we we did really well. I, I think this is a phenomenal list. And I mean, definitely if, you know, I always say Gen X mixtape is for Gen Xers, by Gen Xers, but this is, this is not just for Gen X. I mean, we have really covered our bases. I mean, we have TV from, from you know, the golden days, you know, early black and white programming through today. I, I, it, it's And the I, instrumental one will be no problem. I'm, I'm curious to see if we'll be able to fill up for animated. Oh, I know. I can. Really? Oh, yeah. So I, did, I didn't watch a lot of cartoons. Of course, you took one. Well, I took one. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. I mean, just... I I can make I could come up with a list of fifteen just Hanna Barbera hmm. alone, and that's not including the Looney Tunes and the Woody Woodpeckers. Yeah, and, I guess. And the okay. anime, yeah, you know, yeah. anime will have a place. Oh, as anime! Well. I I know nothing. No, yeah, I, anime. So. I I you know I I resisted anime for so long, um, but my son, both of them really, but my older son Joel, huge anime fan, and he he finally got me into it about three years ago, and now I I can't get enough. There are I've I've made my way through a number of series and a few of them will, will be represented. But, and you also had the prime time, like we've, we said, if you don't use it for the instrumental, we have the Simpsons, we have South Park, we have, we even family have guy, family guy, Be- Be- yeah, Beavis we, and Butthead. I mean, there's probably do this. Oh yeah. Daria and flux. Well, I, I mean, could, I could have chosen family guy for this episode. 
could have. Shoot, I missed it. But now I can use it for the third yes. episode. Yes. Um, and yeah, I, this season, um, the season's going to end. We're, we're going to finish season one of our podcast um, right uh, after our, our final episode will be a Halloween-themed episode, and then we will be taking uh, taking leave uh, until season We have jobs two. to do. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, we'll be back for a few specials. I'd still like to do a Christmas special, a Valentine's Day special, but um, through through Halloween, definitely. I, I really would like to do parts two and three of this, you know, before we call it quits on season one. Sure. Um, but, yeah, we but it won't be consecutive. Um, so... Uh, next week, for instance, uh, is our Labor Day uh, episode, and they will be songs about work, or, or if you really prefer, you know, working for the man. You know, it's it's going to be about uh, the 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 blood, sweat, and tears of of uh, various professions, and also you know the longing for a better path in life. I suppose uh, many of the songs, um, but it will be a Labor Day specific episode about working um so you know it, it's it won't be consecutive but I, we will try and get back to you because I, I, if we're talking gen x television has so defined our generation so we still have to do the sequence of these songs we do so we'll be right back after this and we're back and we have come up with our sequence and this one was not very difficult because no. we kind of cheated. We we well we did <laughs> very much so. But it made sense to do it this way. It did. I really I mean especially given that it will be a YouTube playlist and um you know we're we're all over the board in terms of television both in sound and in theme. Um so we thought what better way if we're doing a you know a greatest hits package of television themes why not start at the beginning and work our way to today? And we decided to just sequence chronologically. So in the end, Remote Control Part 1, here is our playlist. And it's going to be nice, too, because you're going to kind of see the evolution of TV themes. Oh, yeah. So you'll hear, like, in like the early 60s, some of the surf rock stuff going into the 70s, some of the disco-related tunes into oh. the 80s. It'll be a nice, yeah. nice progression. Very much. All right, so our first... Uh, First track, side A uh, of our mixtape, uh, we would begin with The Flintstones. That came out in 1960. Followed by The Addams Family from 1964. Then Gilligan's Island from 1964. Secret Agent Man from 1964. Batman from 1966. And The Monkees from the same year. Brady Bunch, uh, that was 1969. Into the Mary Tyler Moore Show from 1970. Then Happy Days from 74. And the Jeffersons from 75. Into Wonder Woman, again, 75, same year. Followed by Laverne and Shirley from 76. The Muppet Show, also 76. The Love Boat from 77. And Three's Company will end side A, our 15th song from 1977. Side B, we begin with Different Strokes from 1978 and then WKRP in Cincinnati from the same year, followed by the Dukes of Hazard, 79, The Greatest American Hero, 81, Cheers from 1982, Into Family Ties from 1982, then to Moonlighting from 85, The Gary Shandling Show, 86, 
The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air from 1990, then Friends from 1994, Malcolm in the Middle from 2000, Into Weeds 2005, The Big Bang Theory from 2007, True Blood from 2008, and our final song to end the mixtape, the last track of Side B is Orange is the New Black from 2000. 13. Yeah, that'd be a nice progression. Yeah, I think so. And then viewers will be able to not only listen to them on YouTube, but watch them watch on them. YouTube as well. Absolutely. And and we will throw up, uh, as we would on Spot, Spotify, we'll, we'll go ahead and include an alternates playlist um, of both uh, our alternate lists and songs that were mentioned um, during during the episode. So, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll fill in some gaps there as well. Um Next week, as we said, uh, the episode is a Labor Day uh, episode all about work, and we, we're looking forward to that. We hope that you will join us. Are you ready for the soundtrack segment? I am ready. All right. Who goes first? I think you go this time. I go. All right. Here we go. You have just one shot. One shot for the land speed record. What is your full throttle, cylinder exploding, hair on fire, racing against the clock song? You're not going to believe this. I'm going to pick an ACDC song. Get out. Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck. I'm going to pick Thunderstruck. Wow. I, I never thought in a million years that you would pick an ACDC but song. But also in a million anything. years, never be in a car like that preparing to go <laughs> and break the land speed record. Well, that's that's probably true so yes. unusual circumstances call for unusual soundtrack choices that's a good choice I mean, it, it, very fitting okay what do you got Spain you hear the snorts and anxious stomping of hooves echo behind the wooden doors at any moment your first run with the bulls begins what song plays as those doors swing open hmm. uh Running, so I'm I'm in Pamplona. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Van Halen, "Running with the Devil." Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that works. "Running with the Devil." That's Van good. Halen. Okay, well, <laughs> that was easy. That was easier <laughs> than most weeks. <laughs> all right, so, all right. We want to thank our sponsors, Jay Callahan Painting. Of course, if you have any. Uh, painting needs. Uh, Jay Callahan Painting serves the greater Cleveland area. We ask you to please support our sponsors and, and look them up. You can find them on Facebook. Also, our second sponsor would be Affordable Entertainment Live Trivia, which is uh, a subsidiary of, of Affordable Entertainment. Uh, they offer DJ services and photo booth rentals and the like. But the entertainment uh live trivia that is every Tuesday night, approximately 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Um, we have the link on our website, and, and we will post it on, on our Facebook page as well, Twitter and, and uh, Instagram, but uh, the link will take you to the Facebook group. You have to join the group um, to really best, uh, you know, be informed about uh, the weekly weekly trivia game um, because he, every Monday, uh, sometimes uh, earlier in the day, Tuesday, he will post the link. Uh, that you have to follow to enter the game. And and usually he, he posts uh, what each round will be, uh, the topics for each round, so he can kind of prepare, um, I suppose, as you uh, 
begin to play. Um, and, and as a reminder, it's free to play the game, and top winner each week gets $50, uh, $50 prize. It's actually a $50 Amazon gift card. So uh, please, um, yeah, absolutely, uh, play uh, affordable entertainment live trivia. Um, yeah, you know, what do you got to lose? And it's a lot of fun. And right now our options are still very limited in how to spend our free time outside of the home. So it gives you something to do and friends and family can compete against one another. It really is an enjoyable experience. Please play trivia. Please, uh, you know, if it's needed, paint your house, support our sponsors. Or play trivia while your house is being painted. You could do that. Yes. That would be a, a one-two punch, a nifty combination. Um, that's all I got. All right. Next week, Labor Day. And for now, hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next Sunday. But for now, press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject. But we will see you on the flip side. Thank you.